This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Well, why wait? Let's just get it over with, I guess, said Doug Marone. Not yeah. a lot of suspense all week long. And just like that, about an hour and a half ago, Doug Marone to speak to the media, and bam, Jaguars are uh, running with Nick Foles. That is uh, the story of the day here in Jacksonville, a story we expected maybe to hear him on Monday of next week. Uh, a little surprised that we already know based on, hey, who would, could a defense get prepared for in, in the Colts? And yeah. But I guess, you know what, you really don't start game planning until Monday in the NFL anyway, right? Sunday night, Monday, maybe there's an advanced scout team uh scout that that looks at everything so how much would holding off till monday benefit if you're gonna hold off till friday of yeah. next week then that might benefit but uh i guess no real advantage holding off in terms of facing the colts coming out of the bye week the, yeah there really is no advantage um to say uh, to me though it's still a little form of gamesmanship right like if it was me in that decision i would hold off as long as i could because it's not gonna hurt you you know, I just think it's funny that Coach Marone kind of said the whole week he's taking his time. He's going to evaluate and everything like that. Well, literally the next day, Nick Foles, you know, and then here we are. So, uh, obviously, it was a pretty easy decision to him, I guess. I, I figured he would go with the Nick Foles uh, move. I feel like a lot of people figured he'd go with Nick Foles because it's like he said. I mean, he, right now, they think Nick Foles gives them the best chance of winning, and this front office, this coaching staff, that they need to win football games. Simple as that. Yeah, now he didn't say that part. No, he didn't. No. <laughs> but it is a business of winning, and yeah. that's implied, right? Mm -hmm. And we all know that. And that's why this isn't a surprise. Nobody is surprised at what happened today when Doug Marone announced that uh, they will go with Nick Foles. And now I think the curiosity is where can they go with Nick Foles. You know, we'll talk about that coming up, but this guy has a track record of being pretty darn good in November and December and even January, uh, coming in off the bench the last couple of times he's had to do so for the Philadelphia Eagles. Can he keep that going? And there's really no grace period. Uh, you know, we said yesterday, I said the thing that nobody's talking about, is he definitely 100% ready to go? Well, obviously they checked that box, he's ready to go. But you don't have a chance to really be rusty or anything. You've got to get right into it. Now, the way the Jaguars handled their preseason – they didn't have a chance either to really feel your way into the into football games. I mean, they took like 10 snaps in the preseason. Nick Foles did, and bam, he was starting uh, just like that in a real game. So this guy's been around it long enough. My guess is that doesn't matter. I, I don't know if rust will be an issue. I think he's either going to play good football or he's not going to play good football. And uh, I guess we're all fascinated to see which one will it be. Well, that's the thing. You know, I mean, you say rust – I say timing. I mean, it's kind of the same, falls underneath the same umbrella, right? Where to say his timing is going to be dead on right away, I think that's a little naive because if you look at how the preseason shaked out a little bit and then you go to that first Chiefs game, uh, that first drive. Final 20 seconds. Was, was that the Chiefs? Game? Oh, good, Coos. Okay. <laughs> so when we go back to that Chiefs game, uh, you know, the, that first drive, there was some question marks there. Now he, he settled in pretty nicely, and that second drive throws that beautiful ball to DJ Chark in the end zone. So it didn't take much time to adjust for not really getting a lot of preseason reps. But I still think there might be, you know, just a little timing issue because um, it's one thing to do it in practice. It's one thing to, to go against the scout team. But live reps on the road in Indy, against a pretty solid Indianapolis defense, 
that's going to be different for him. Yeah, it will be. I was wondering if that was the black cat, by the way, uh, coming in uh, to the middle of the show or not. Well, the black cat a little bit later on. But, yeah, I, listen, again, he's it's either he's either going to play well or he's not. It's simple as that. He might play somewhere in between. And, and I think the hope now for the Jaguars, with everything in front of them, we've talked to, about it. We know what it is. Everybody out there knows what it is. They're four and five. Uh, if they are going to make a run at a postseason, they better get to at least nine and seven. They more than likely might have to get to ten and six. Mm-hmm. And can he go six and one? Can they go five and two? You know, I think five and two would be admirable. I think anything less than five and two, and I'm sitting here wondering, ah, maybe they should have just stuck with Minshew and and see where he could go. But, you know, I, I think there's so many unanswered questions. We have a, I'm a big, small sample NFL quarterback guy where I say, can we not get carried away with someone who's played eight games, nine games? I say it all the time. So I can't be contradictory in my belief on this. We've seen Gardner Minshew for nine games, and he's been pretty darn good in like five of them. Uh, Good, I would say, in six of them. And then he had a couple of uh, games, you know, and that's kind of the life as a quarterback, especially a young one, uh, six-round pick guy. So I think all the things that he did was so admirable. But I'm still not here to tell you that for the next 15 years he's going to be the quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't think we know that. All I have to do is show you Cleveland, Ohio, and Baker Mayfield. You know, I can show you other examples of it, too, guys that started fast and and then kind of like, okay, what are they doing? You know, I mean, Mariota had his moments. Mm -hmm. You know, Winston's had his moments. Derek Carr had moments. Uh, and everybody's still a little uncertain. Andy Dalton, all these people, they've had moments. Cam Newton, who goes on IR today. You know, they've all had their moments, and some of that is even over a longer term, longer stretch. I'm not just yeah. saying eight or nine games. But I, I, I just mean, will always say it. You know, I've said it. I, I thought they crowned Deshaun Watson a little bit early. You know what? It looks like they were probably right. Yeah. Deshaun Watson's a really good football player, MVP candidate. I think they've crowned, we are crowning Lamar Jackson a little bit early. But wait yeah. until the rest of the league catches up. Sure. I mean, like, yeah. It's a small no, sample no, on Lamar right. Jackson at the end of the day still. Yeah. Now, he's doing some really great things. And I, what happens when the league does correct on you a little bit? And it, and it might be just like well, Deshaun Watson. He might be an MVP candidate for the next 10 or 15 years. Mm-hmm. And it might be the worst, another bad selection by the Jaguars to not take Lamar Jackson. I just My point is I think it's too early to tell. And it's too early to tell even on Gardner Minshew. But now what you do is you stunt that growth and you really don't know uh, you, you think you know what you have in Minshew as your backup quarterback, potentially a quarterback that could take over down the road for Nick Foles and be the quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars. But do you really know? I guess that's where I'm going with this. Do we really know what Gardner Minshew is in a nine-game sample? And now we don't get to see it all play out. I think that's the downside of this move to Foles. Yeah, and then it's something we have to keep in mind, too, as well as the fact that this is the schedule coming up. On paper, it looks like it's going to be the harder schedule than what it was for the first eight games, right? You're, you're traveling to Indy. you got to play at Tennessee where you haven't been good at. Tampa Bay, I get it. They're 2-6, and six, but I think they're, uh, you know, the, that, that record's a little, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of tells a little bit of a lie. Uh, you have to play San Diego, who's always seemed to have the Jaguars' numbers, and you have to travel on the West Coast to play the Raiders. I mean, those are some pretty hard games coming up. And my question to you, and this is 
So I'll, can, just say, I'll debate you a little bit on that, though. I mean, I th- they played Houston twice. Yeah. Houston's just as good as Indy, if not better right now, the record would indicate. They played the Saints and the Carolina Panthers with McCaffrey. You're playing MVP candidates, and they played the Chiefs early when they were healthy. Yeah. So, I mean, this but back end of the schedule. They've also played the Broncos, the Jets. They have. But the yeah. back end of the schedule in totality, in my opinion, now, again, yeah. you, you can have your opinion. My no, opinion, sure. I think it's easier. I think they're okay. all winnable games. I don't know if the Saints and the Chiefs and, I mean, maybe the pan you know i don't i don't sit sit there and say oh yeah that's a w i can give you a w over any one of these games coming out if the jags play decent football now if they turn it over four times yeah. Nick Foles plays terrible leonard fournette can't get going i mean all those things go into play i can also give you a lot of l's in the second. that's just because of the way the jags are mm-hmm. but schedule wise i think this is still lines up if you want to make a six and one run i would take the back end of this schedule more so than the front of the schedule, in okay. my opinion. Okay, yeah, and I guess we agree to disagree because I, I think the Colts are the real deal. I think they're good in the trenches, and I think those two games are going to be rough for the Jaguars. But anyways, my point is the Jaguars got to win. Like you said, they have to go maybe win five, six games to, to be in the playoff hunt, yeah. let alone win a division. I think six would get them in. Yeah. Let's say, theoretically, they lose maybe at Indianapolis, which is very possible. Maybe they win against Tennessee. Maybe the deciding games when uh, the San Diego Char- or the Los Angeles Chargers come to Jacksonville. Maybe the Chargers beat them, and they're kind of a playoff hunt from there. My question is, how long do you hang on to Nick Foles if the season's out of hand? How, how long do you hang on to Nick Foles as your starter if there's nothing to gain? How long do you hang on to Nick Foles where there's nothing to prove, but you have a guy on the bench named Gardner Minshew who maybe needs some more reps to see what, what he's worth? Like, at what point... And the Jaguar season where, and this is like 100% certain that they're not going to make the playoffs, do you go back to Gardner Minshew or do you roll with Nick Foles then? I think given that situation, if you want me to answer the way that situation would play out, if the Jags say have three games to go and they're out of the playoff mix, even two games to go and they're out of the playoff mix and they kind of know it, I believe you could get a token half of football from Minshew or something like that. I don't think they'll hand them back over the reins. The difference is, for me, at least sitting here right now, I would say this isn't an Eli Manning situation. This isn't an Andy Dalton situation. Those are situations where you're like, okay, we stink. We have a young quarterback that we want to get some reps in. We want to see what, what we have here. We give away to Daniel Jones, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Cincinnati just gave away to – now. I don't I even know who they – Who they bet? They benched Dalton well, for – They benched uh, Dalton. Um, <laughs> why can't I think I of the, who, they, who they put in there? But they put in the young QB. Uh, is the the guy from NC State, Finley? Finley, thank yeah, you. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so they drafted Finley, right, yeah. in like the fourth round or yeah. something. And so they're giving way to him. That's not this situation. Keep in mind, they signed Nick Foles to be their quarterback for the next, I would say, at least two years, if not three, and hopeful four years. They signed him to a four-year deal. Mm-hmm. So that's not like those situations. This is still... If they view this as still his team, which I think they do because they just made this decision, then they are riding with Nick Foles until the wheels fall off Nick Foles or he gets hurt or something like that. I Again, could I see at the end of the year in the 15th or 16th game, the Jags be like, listen, this guy, you know, we are out of it. Uh, Foles has, has played okay, whatever, five or six games. He's still our guy. I get, let's get Minshew back in there, man. He's earned the right to go play a half of football. The guys don't, wouldn't mind that at all. You know, they get it. I I could see that happening. I could see it. I, I just don't think that's in their minds at all right now. And I also think Nick Foles is going to play, if healthy, probably 95% of the snaps the rest of the season, regardless of where they are. So then where does that lead the Jaguars, assuming that he plays out the whole season? Where does that lead them going to the offseason then? Are, it leads them with two good gonna, quarterbacks, but, man. But here's my question, though. Are you going to have a legit quarterback battle in training camp? Sure. Why not? 
Okay. Why not? I'm, just, I'm just wondering. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it leaves them with two quarterbacks that they like, you know, uh, but they obviously like one more than the other. You know, no, I, their mindset is their mindset is everything we've talked about. That they think Nick Foles can give them something that Gardner Minshew has not been able to give them. That's why they brought him in here. This is his offense. Again, it might simply be the offense. It might simply be the red zone. But there's something that can be a difference maker. Doug Marone said it today. We feel like we can win. We have a better chance to win games with Nick Foles. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? More the offense that we discussed yesterday and really for the last couple weeks. Better numbers in the red zone because a veteran quarterback can do that better than the younger quarterback, you know, uh, generally speaking. So I don't know, but they have just told us that their thinking is Nick Foles is the quarterback, and we also don't mind having two good quarterbacks. Where does that go? Does the pressure mount in that? I don't even know if that mounts in the offseason. You know, I think people are getting way ahead of themselves on this, and it kind of goes back to what I'm just said up five minutes ago. Do we really know, even though this was fun, do we really know that Gardner Minshew can take over the reins of this football team for the next 10 years? Well, according to his numbers, he can. Because if you compare his numbers to other rookie quarterbacks, they're better than every other rookie quarterback. So if we're just looking at the stats and the analytics, those numbers show me that, yes, he can. Now, do you believe in the numbers? That's up to you. But if I'm in the analytics, I'm saying, yes, he can. Well, it was 4-4. Four and four. It wasn't 7-1. <laughs> and one. I understand you know, that. Kyle Allen went 5-0. and oh, Teddy Bridgewater 5-0. and oh. Now, there's more to it than that. Uh, yeah, this sounds like I'm knocking uh, uh, Mitchell. I'm not. I'm just I still think there's a lot to be written here. And really what they don't know, Austin, is they don't know what they have in Nick Foles. That's True. more yep. fair to say. They don't know what they have. That's the curiosity. Let's talk more about it when we come back. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Star, star 690, the number. If you want to jump in, what do you think about the decision Doug Marone made today? I see my decision. I worked hard on it, came to it, uh, brought uh, both players in this morning, spoke to both of them. After I spoke to the players, then obviously I wanted to make sure I spoke to the team, and then I wanted to get it to um, our media before they heard it anywhere else of where I can't control. That's Doug Marone talking just about an hour and a half ago, and you know Doug's good about that. He really tries to take care of the local media. In this day and age, everything comes out of the agents and, and to Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport and guys like that, uh, which is okay, too. I mean, I'm not complaining about it. I'm just saying Doug does a – he really tries to get it through the local media mm-hmm. if he can, uh, which is cool of him to do that. I also think Doug – Doug's an interesting guy, man. He he has we talked about this a lot of different ways. He has protected the players to the nth degree this year, right? Yeah. Well, I feel like he did it again today. And what he did was he made this decision. First of all, nobody had it on their radar because everybody was thinking next Sunday, Monday. Uh, I think he even had mentioned that Sunday might be the time he'll make that decision. Talk to the quarterbacks when they come back. Talk to the team when they come back, and then probably announce to everybody. Well, he does it quicker. Right, and he gets it done. But the Jags players were supposed to have availability today around 1 o'clock for the final time of the bye week. You know, this is really the only time uh, because they were in London and and all that stuff. Well, I think this is just another, you know, whether he says it like this or not, but I kind of feel like he protected the team on this issue and let them digest it a little bit. And then they can talk to everybody about it whenever we catch up with them, which most likely will be next Monday. But I don't know how much thought goes into that for Doug Marone, but I think players probably appreciate it uh, quietly. The fact that Doug Marone didn't say that at 125 
And then at 1.30, they're all being peppered about it. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? You know, and Minshew has to answer and Foles has to answer and everybody's got to answer. Mm-hmm. The flip side of that is I think he also kind of takes care of the, the media a little bit. And every, and, and when I say the media, I mean, really mean the fans because the fans kind of want to know what's going on. And so the, the other bad part would have been to make everybody available from 1 to 2 o'clock, which is what they were supposed to do. And then Marone announced it at 2 o'clock. When everybody had already left. And so all the, everything that we heard from the players would be old news by then. Correct. Right? Mm -hmm. It it would have no value. So I I have no idea how much those discussions are made down there, but I think they are cognizant of it and aware of it. And so I think at the end of the day, my thought here is Doug Marone kind of helped the players again. And you're a guy that's been in the locker room. You've been around quarterback discussions and talks. They can weigh on players. You Mm -hmm. know, it's always topic number one. But I don't know if would, it, would a player recognize that from the Cubs? Be like, thanks for not letting me have to answer that today. I'll answer it Monday. I mean, does that mean anything uh, to a player or, or what? Uh, you know, it's funny now because it's like we always talk about where players are very in tune with what's going on in the media via social media. So I don't think they would necessarily like go out of their way to thank Doug Marone. Like, hey, man, like you really you know, basically jumped on the grenade for us there, but not making sense. It wasn't a question. big grenade. Yeah, yeah. It's but, just a small but, token. But no, I mean, you know? it, it is, especially going into the bye week, you know, players can go on vacation now a little bit and just kind of uh, recharge their batteries. I don't think players really realize that, to tell you the truth, Brent. I think they're, to be fair, I think they're already planning what they're going to do for their bye week, whether it's going on a little <laughs> quick vacation or just kind of rest their bodies a little bit. Um I don't think they're really that concerned. All right. Well, a different topic from a player's point of view. Yeah. He had a team meeting today before everybody left mm-hmm. and talking about a bunch of things, I'm sure. Like, we got to get our butts in gear when we come back as a sense of urgency. We need to win football games. Yeah. Margin of error is real slim. But he also breaks the news to everybody. What's the reaction, do you think, in that team meeting room yeah. to the Foles news? So, two things. To the Foles news, I think it's like I talked about. I kind of saw it coming. I feel like the players saw it coming as well. Now, we're not in the locker room, so we don't know their dynamic, but I think the writing was on the wall, especially after that last game from Gardner Minshew. So I think the players kind of saw it coming. Now, maybe you know they're a little shocked that it happened so quickly, whatever. But I think if you're Doug Marone and you're from the players' perspective, I think you can appreciate him kind of getting the, the, the quarterback conversation out of the way right now. Like the last thing you wanted to do if you're that Jaguars offense, if you're the wide receiver, if you're one of the quarterbacks is, you know, kind of get away from the stadium for a couple of days, um, spend time with your family, you know, just get everything right physically and mentally, but then always having to wonder, like, all right, well, is it going to be Foles? Is it going to be Minshew? Because there's always a, that small fraction of a chance that it could have been still Minshew. You know, he's the younger guy. He has the more promise. So I think from that perspective, I think they kind of, you know, got a breath of fresh air knowing that, all right, well, we know the quarterback is not going forward. We can leave the stadium for a couple of days. We'll come back and get ready to go to work. And it's also going to be really telling to see how long they're gone for. Because every coach does this differently for the bye week. Some guys get the entire week off. Some guys where if the coach thinks that, you know what, the team's underachieving, he maybe gives them three days off. Uh, you know, I, I've been kind of the benefit of both uh, sides. So I'm curious to see exactly how long Doug Marone gives these guys off. Well, this has been Club Med, man. Yeah. Relative to everything else. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think they're coming back Sunday night. The whole week, basically. Yeah, they're done. Yeah. I mean, they're done. Yeah. They're gone today, this afternoon. And they're out of here until Sunday. I think that's the plan. I mean, that's the plan according to the schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and 
And by the way, I don't say that in a bad way. I think Doug Marone has tried to take care of the players, hoping in return they reciprocate with good play, maximum effort, locked-in focus. And to be honest with you, I think they have been locked-in focus. The, what they've handled in the first two months, mm-hmm. I think the effort's been really, really strong. They've kept everything together. The leadership has been good. Now their play has been good half the time and not enough of the time. And so they have to fix that part to the best of their capabilities. But whatever Doug Marone has done to keep this team still locked in halfway through amidst everything else, I think is still an admirable job uh, by the team and by Marone. So he's pushing the right buttons. Now he has to call the right plays and hope they execute better than they've executed, you know, down the stretch of the season because it's goal time and they have to win. What is the difference? So Nick Foles gives them a better chance to win. Correct. That's what Doug Marone said. That's mm-hmm. what the coaching staff. Listen, they're not making that stuff up, people. Mm-hmm. Whether you like Minshew and you wanted him in and you think he can run around better and it's more fun, I understand that. That's fine if you believe that. We had the conversation yesterday. You sh- you should you think they should stick with Marone? That's fine. But why are they making this decision? Why, in your opinion, do you say? Does he say right now? Nick Foles. Doesn't matter how good this rookie has played. Well, it does matter, but as well as he's played, we think this guy gives us a better chance. Why is Nick Foles a better quarterback for them in the last seven games than Gardner Minshew? Any ideas? Few reasons. First of all, he's the better quarterback in Doug Marone's eyes. And listen, I'll, I'll, I'm going to come with you on that. I think right now, I think Nick Foles is the better quarterback because he has the experience. Um, he's been in different locker rooms, been in different offenses, and in doing that, he's seen different defenses as well, right? Where he can maybe see things that Garner Minshew just isn't to the point of seeing yet. And that's not Garner Minshew's fault. That's just he's a rookie, man. Like it's it, maturation. It, it, it just comes with reps and it comes with time. So I think if, if you're Doug Marone, and like we've talked about before, where – Jobs are still on the line. The Jaguars are four and five right now. I don't care about the injuries. I don't care about what happened with Jalen Ramsey. Because at the end of the day, all that matters is wins and losses. All right? And the Jaguars are four and five right now. And if it's me, I think they're underachieving. You, you cannot be four and five. And once again, I don't want to hear the excuses. And Shad Khan made it perfectly clear after the 2018 season that they're not going to tolerate another losing season. Well, we'll see how this rest of the season pans out here. But they got some tough games, in my opinion, ahead. So if they do go below 500, you know, I mean, we'll see what happens. But I think Nick Foles gives you the best chance of not only winning ball games, but also saving your job. Well, here's the deal. Nick Foles has done this before, right? Yeah. I mean, he has been able to do it at this time of year. That experience, Again, they're going on experience. One thing that... That Gardner Minshew has not done it in November, December. Not done it when you really need to win. And I think most recently, you know, everybody brings up Super Bowl MVP and Super Bowl. But really the year to compare is last year. Mm-hmm. Because they can't, they needed to win games, the Eagles did, to make the playoffs. And Foles comes off the bench and he delivers. And I'm uh, trying to get the numbers right now. But uh, 2018, he went 4-1 and one in the final five games to yeah. get him into the postseason. Now, there's a bigger sample here with seven games. But... The irony in all of this is is really not that different of a situation than 2018 and really 2017. I think the Eagles were 11 and 2 in 17 when he came off the bench and then leads mm-hmm. him to the Super Bowl. So a lot of those starts were in the postseason. You know, that's yeah. where that's where he became legendary because he was getting it done in January and of course in the Super Bowl. And they were already 11 and 2. It's not like he had to get him to the playoffs. You could actually argue there was more pressure on Nick Foles last year when he came into the situation because 
that was a team that was disappointing at that stage. You know, they were Super Bowl champs, and they were on the outside looking in, mm-hmm. and they weren't going to make it unless they started winning football games, and Foles comes in 4-1. and one. Well, guess what? Here we are in 2019, and if you don't mind, Nick Foles, we're going to ask you to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, and here's the – and listen, I'm not knocking Nick Foles, man. Super Bowl MVP, very impressive. But in 2017 – he wasn't putting up worldly numbers when he came in. All right, he finished that season with five touchdowns, two interceptions. 2018, he had four. Uh, I'm sorry, he had seven touchdowns and four interceptions. Okay, so from that perspective, it was the guys around him as well. Like we always say, Nick Foles saved the Eagles. Nick Foles saved the Eagles. I get it, but their defensive line helped out. Their receivers helped out. Those were team wins that the Eagles were getting. And if the Jacksonville Jaguars want to do the same thing, yes, Nick Foles can help. But it's got to be a collective effort from the offense, the defense, and the special teams as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I think Foles, you know, Foles did complete seventy two percent of his passes in those five games last year to get yeah. him in. So, you know, listen, we'll talk more about Nick Foles, what he can do, why he's the better choice, all those things, and what are the ramifications for Gardner Minshew. But coming up next, the other big story around here, the other big story in the state of Florida: Willie Taggart fired. Who's next? What about the Bob Stoops rumors? We're going to Tallahassee right after this on ESPN six ninety. We want to be able to have somebody ready to recruit. There are going to be a lot of schools out there looking for coaches. There are every year once the season ends. Our feeling was if we could get positioned and be ready to hit the ground running, it would be a significant advantage. That's Florida State Athletic Director there chiming in on the Willie Taggart situation. Willie Taggart fired, and now it's not a Willie Taggart situation. It's a what happens next for the Florida State Seminoles and what's going on in Tallahassee moving forward. Can they find a quick fix? Can they find the coach that will now bring them back to where they should be, where they have been for so long instead of the mess of the last uh, few years, really, if you consider Jimbo Fisher's final year and this less than two-year stint for Willie Taggart. We're going to Tallahassee right now. We are joined by Tashawn Reed from The Athletic. And uh, have you seen Bob Stoops on campus, Tashawn? <laughs> I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brett Martin, along with Austin Lane, uh, here on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690, joined by Tashawn Reed. Well, obviously, there were some early reports and uh, erroneous reports, it looks like, at least at this time. You know, the latest thing that happened for Florida State today is they announced that they have hired a search committee for their coach. And I don't think you you hire a search committee, unless this is just a procedural thing, Tashawn, if you're on the doorstep of hiring the, a guy. So... This this indicates to me that this will take a little bit more time than maybe some people thought it might take to find the next coach at Florida State. Exactly, and I wouldn't expect any sort of decision to be made in the imminent future. This is something that they're going to take their time with, and I think rightfully so. You know, because they can't really mess this up. They can't afford to mess this up, both figuratively and literally. You know, at this point, so I think they're going to have a move in place, obviously, by the end of the season. But they aren't, you know, necessarily jumping the gun and, and rushing to make a decision right now. You know. And I think especially when you're considering guys who are still working at this time, and that would, that would be everybody except for Bob Stoops that they're considering, you know, this isn't something that a guy's going to agree to in a couple of days, even if they do like the job and are interested in it. So, you know, it, it's going to take a little bit more time, and I, I think the coaching firm move was, was a national one considering, you know, David Coburn's relative inexperience with his current position. Um, you, know, you know, I think he needs a little bit more assistance maybe than the athletic director who has been through this kind of situation before. 
So, I mean, this isn't anything out of the ordinary. You know, I think this is all pretty much expected. Yeah, I think that's the way it goes. I mean, unless you seriously have a guy. Now, I think they have a list. Uh, and a short list, maybe even, and a wish list. But I think unless you really had someone, and Bob Stoops was like, right, going to happen, uh, this is kind of the normal operating procedure. Here, here's the thing: I don't get on, t- uh, I don't get all over Florida State for missing on Willie Taggart as much as some other folks do, because you know what? It happens when you hire coaches. It happens in football, basketball, every sport, every job. And you know, if you go back in the track record for Florida State, it's been pretty darn good. They had Bobby Bowden for a long time. <laughs> And they had Jimbo Fisher. You know what? The trend, Murphy's Law, whatever you want to say, the odds said they were going to screw one up sooner or later. And they probably screwed this one up. Uh, My question, though, to Sean is do they have to make sure they have some different voices in the room making decisions than that made this one? Because this was a bad decision uh, from a dollar standpoint, from a who they picked, and it didn't work. So I would hope if I'm a Knowles fan, and I'm not, but I would hope that they would have some different influential voices along with the ones that maybe made that decision. And I know there's a different one in Coburn rather than uh, the A.D. Wilcox. Yeah, and I, I think that's the major difference here. But I think, you know, I, I don't know how much of a difference that'll be, given how I said, you know, he's relatively inexperienced in the situation. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he'll, he'll make the final decision in, in conjunction with President Thrasher. Um, I don't think it's going to be, you know, he has complete control over the show necessarily. And I think that may be something that provides concern from the fan base because, you know, largely, and I mean, if we're being honest, you know, the boosters will have a ton of influence in yes. this decision. I mean, they had a ton of influence in the last decision. And so that's not really going to change or be any different. You know? And I think, you know, maybe I guess the silver lining is a, is a question from me. But, I mean, at the end of the day, the people who are putting forth the money for the situation are the boosters. And they, they may carry the biggest voice. And, you know, I, I know boosters have a history, regardless of what school it is, of being, you know, pretty impulsive people, you know, pretty impatient people. And, uh, you know, that's tough, you know, especially when it's, as big of a coaching search as they're trying to fill right now, you know, I don't think you can really afford to be that way. And so I guess, you know, the hope for the fan base could be that, you know, maybe the boosters and some other people in power have maybe learn from their mistakes, you know, take a step back and, and you know, put some patience in. And I, I mean, it seems like, you know, from the way things are progressing, that that's being done. What's up to Sean Austin Lane here, man? Um, so in terms of Willie Taggart, you know, n- not even lasting two years, and we kind of talked about it a little bit on the show yesterday like what percentage in your opinion was the first year of just really Taggart trying to clean up Jimbo Fisher's mess and not even get to implement kind of his style of coaching and what percentage does this directly fall on Willie Taggart where it was his fault that the Florida Seminoles were losing all these games uh, I would say about 60 40 in favor of 60 being cleaning up Jimbo's mess uh I don't think you can give him the majority of the blame, given that the guy didn't even get two full seasons. You know, I mean, it's kind of hard to, you know, and I know he had two recruiting classes, but really for me, that third year is kind of the turning point for when you evaluate a head coach. You know, if a guy isn't making progress at that point, all right, he probably just isn't the guy to do it. Um, I think the program would have been, this would have been a better team that season. And I think, you know, if he had been allowed the time to do so, they, they would have gotten a bit better. You know, maybe a bit better isn't what they're looking for, but maybe that's ultimately why they made the move conjunction with the financial situation, but I mean, the ball field issues that were left behind by Jim Fisher can be understated, from ATR score to you know, some of the behavioral issues that they've had, from players like DeAndre, DeAndre Francois, for example. Um, you know, he essentially stopped recruiting the 2018 recruiting class, so Taggart had to throw that together, and that led to you know, some gaps along the offensive line. 
Uh, I, I guess recruiting-wise, you know, Tiger's biggest you know mistake and the one people want to hold him to is, is not finding a, a quarterback in either of his two years, and obviously that came back to hurt him this year. But I think something like the offensive line being as bad as it is, I mean, I mean you look at it, that's, that's one of the worst offensive lines I've ever seen personally. And you're, just, you're not going to fix that in a year or two. And that, that can tank your entire offense, and it has folks for the last two seasons. And so I, I think it's a mix of both, but I, I would lean towards saying, you know, it's not the majority of Tigers. Really, it's hard to do that when the guy doesn't even get two seasons. As far as their head coaching candidates, obviously I think they would like to get Bob Stoops. Let's assume that they don't get Bob Stoops here. Is it important for Florida State to go after a guy who has ties to Florida in the recruiting, or do you believe that Florida State still carries that prestige where it doesn't matter what kind of coach they bring in, that they can bring in a guy from Western Michigan, they can bring in a guy from Iowa State. It doesn't matter if they don't have ties to Florida just because Florida State still has that prestige. Do you think that's the case, or do they need to get a guy with ties now to the state of Florida? Uh, I think it matters, especially considering that most of the recruiting that they have now, at least for the past 2020, um, most of these guys were committed, you know, while Florida State was a losing program and had a losing record, and then that, you know, naturally says that they committed due to their relationships with coaching staff, and pretty much, you know, obviously Tiger's gone, but the, many of his assistants that he hired would also be gone, so those relationships are, are pretty much useless for the program right now. And you have somebody coming in who has absolutely no experience in Florida, has never spoken to any of these kids, you know, it's kind of tough for them to make up that difference, especially with their early signing period almost being here. So that's definitely a factor, and I think something they have to consider. I don't think that will necessarily make or break. You know, I don't think that will keep them from hiring a coach. But I think that's something that they'll consider. And, you know, if a guy has that, that may push him ahead of, a, of another candidate. Tashawn Reed with us from The Athletic, covers the Florida State Seminoles for The Athletic, and uh, joining us from Tallahassee, Brent Morton of Austin Lane, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Let's let you go with this one. Of all the candidates out there, we can throw names and see what happens. P.J. Fleck, by the way, seven-year extension in Minnesota, so you yeah. can kind of take that one out of the mix. Who knows what the yeah. Bob Stoop stuff's Kirk Street says. Nah, it's not happening. Uh, we'll see. I mean, there are reports out of Tallahassee like it was about to happen. That definitely isn't happening. So we'll get all the rumors and the names, and that's kind of the fun stuff sometimes of a coaching search. But – I think uh, the Knowles have to be careful here to try to go for a home run. And that's a weird thing to say in a like a gazillion-dollar sport and where national championships matter and winning matters all the time. But what I mean by that is I think they like – what Florida did to me is they went after Dan Mullen and they knew they were going to get like nine wins, ten wins just about every year. And I still think the curiosity is can Dan Mullen win big? Will he win a national championship? Can he take him to the Final Four? Can he trump Georgia in the SEC East? I mean he's lost the last couple to them, so that hasn't happened yet. But I think Florida State now, given the fact that they've had three really, really bad seasons – Almost needs to go that route. And then I'll add one more thing. And you just tell me if you disagree or not. And you know more. You're right there. But I think they got to go with a guy that maybe isn't like the super nice guy that Taggart was or at least the quiet guy. They almost have to flip the script in terms of the personality and the character a little bit because there was it just didn't feel like there was an energy from Taggart outside looking in. I'll start with the second point. I don't, I don't necessarily think they need to do that. I think it might actually hurt them if they have somebody that comes in with sort of a, I guess, authoritarian mindset, uh, considering, you know, you're going to have several guys on this team who are playing for their third different coach in, you know, four seasons, I, I believe it would be. And so, yeah, I don't think you can really approach a guy like that, you know, super stern, especially considering the APR situation is still recovering, so it's not like they can necessarily run guys off or anything like that. So you just be stuck yeah. with a disgruntled player, and that's not going to help you at all. Um, I, I think, you know, going back to the point about making a big splash, I don't think that 
they should necessarily get too caught up in that. Um, obviously, you know, if they can get Bob Stoops, he's a great hire, I believe. But they shouldn't be opposed to, you know, maybe going hiring one of the, the Clemson coordinators, for example. You know, I think it may not lead to the resurgence in ticket sales next season, but I think even if you have the resurgence in ticket sales this season, they're spending, what, $30 million on this? Yeah. Know? I mean, it's going to take two or three seasons to even break even on that. So, I mean, how valuable is turning around the ticket sales? You know, I think it's more important that they have somebody that they believe will work long-term because they cannot mess this up. Whoever they hire, they're hired, they're hired for at least three to four seasons. They can't bail on another coach before they get two seasons deep again and we cripple this program financially. And so the most important thing here is getting it right. You know, forget ticket sales, forget making a flashy hire, you know, forget all of that. Get it right, no matter who the guy is. Great point. Uh, Tashawn Reed covers Florida State for The Athletic, does a nice job, and uh, we'll be reading all about it and following along, man. Thanks for taking a few minutes. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man. All right. Uh, Tashawn Reed from The Athletic over there at Florida State in busy times uh, <laughs> yeah. with everything that's going on. You know, just to that point a little bit more, we've heard all the names. And, and to elaborate, what I'm saying is Willie Taggart is a super nice guy, mm. right? And not only that is he he's a great rec- – well, I shouldn't say great. I don't know if you can put anything next to Willie Taggart and say great right now. It's a hard thing to do. I mean, he didn't sign a quarterback. So he's known as a good recruiter. We're three hours away from Tallahassee. I didn't feel a thing coming out of Tala- at Tallahassee with Willie Taggart. I didn't feel an emotion, right? Mm-hmm. And, again, I'm not a fan. So, I mean, fans will be able to answer this better than me. But what I'm trying to tell you is, you know, I could feel P.J. Fleck from Minnesota. Of course. I can feel Mike Leach from Washington State. Now, that might be a little bit much, but my point is that you can feel those guys. You know, we had Scott Strickland on last week about Dan Mullen, and I – I, I, I might, the jury's still out on Mullen. I mean, the Mullen, not that he can't win. He can win. I mean, he knows how to win, but can he win big? And that's what he's supposed to do at Florida. Mm-hmm. The idea is to go to Florida and Florida State and win big. It's not just to win. New Year's Six Day bowl games are nice, but you want to be in that national championship conversation. You want to be where Alabama is and mm-hmm. where Georgia has been and where LSU might be going and where Ohio State usually is and all those. That's where you want to be. That, that, there's no like, okay, I'm glad we are nine wins and ten wins. As you look at this thing further down the road for even the Gators. Now, right now, because they're building it, it's a nice job, a job well done by Dan Mullen. But when we had Scott Strickland on, I even said, you can kind of feel everybody in the football program at Florida smiling. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. Dan Mullen smiles. He has some fun. He cracks some bad jokes. He he does stuff like that. You know, I mean, you can sense Scott Strickland smiling and the boosters are smiling a little bit more and and the fans are smiling a little bit more and the players are having some fun. You can feel that a little bit. Sure. And what's so different is in this decade for the Florida Gators, you didn't feel that at all. Well, Muschamp didn't work. It was bad. Jim McElwain didn't work. It kind of seemed fake and phony every time they smiled under Jim McElwain. It just didn't seem real and authentic. Mm -hmm. So. You can characterize it whatever you want, but I need to feel something coming out of Tallahassee. And with Jimbo Fisher, I thought you felt something. And wins certainly helped. Bobby Bowden, you always felt something, right? I mean, there's nothing better to listen to Bobby Bowden talk. So I do think there's a value sometimes, especially in college football where recruiting is king, that you feel a little something from that head coach. I never felt a darn thing from Willie Tag. He'd be the nicest guy in the world. I'm just saying I didn't feel anything. 
And that kind of begs the question in in the world of college football with Florida State right now is do you go in the old direction of kind of the old school mentality type coach, right? Kind of like that hard ass that's going to, you know, kind of establish this grit and toughness, which is pretty rare right now in college football. Or do you go with the new school approach? Do you go with like, you know, like a... I, I like a well, Flex now is staying in Minnesota. He signed that extension. But like, do you go with like a younger guy that can relate more to like the next generation of players? You know, and I can go on for for days with those coaches. I mean, a guy that you mentioned was uh, Fitzgerald from Northwestern. Now they're not having a really good season, but like that's a guy that you always see in the interviews on uh, you know on the TV. Like he's just a guy that seems relatable to his players. And a guy that we talked about this this off season for college football was Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz we were excited about because he was a guy that kind of embraced that Miami culture. It seemed like the U was going to be back because he grew up around the area. The guys on Twitter and Instagram, you know, kind of poking fun at some of the players and stuff. They're having a good time. So we all thought, well, this guy can wait to his players. This guy's going to be the next great Miami Hurricane coach. They're not having a great season so far. That's his first year, so we'll see how that pans out. So that kind of begs the question is, what do you do now? Because in my opinion, I think you had a guy with Taggart who was fresh, who was exciting, may not have made you feel any kind of emotion, but from my opinion, he was the offensive-minded guy. He was the guy coming from Oregon, you know, the exciting, the, the Ducks offense and everything. He comes to the East Coast, and you thought you were going to see that at Florida State because Florida State had the athletes to do what Oregon does. Well, it didn't work out for whatever reason. So do you go with the bland guy who's maybe just more of the the quiet, the kind of the old school type, kind of like a Mac Brown? Do you go with a guy yeah. who's been established and build around the offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator? Or do you go with another fresh young face who can relate to the football team? Yeah, it's it's um, I think people will say, give me the guy who can win. And I don't care about that True. stuff. But I'm just telling you, when you're in the state of Florida, and you have UCF even creeping up on you because of what Scott Frost and Josh Heupel have been able to do over the last few years. And you have Florida way ahead. You know, mm-hmm. those guys got hired a week and a half apart, and now one's gone. Yeah. And one's won 17 games in the last two years. So we know who won that decision. And So when you have that, and then you do – we'll see what Manny Diaz becomes. Yeah. I feel like you need to put yourself on the map in more ways than one. And winning is the ultimate. That is the best way. But I do think personality adds to it. You know, fun offense? Absolutely. Don't bring me a defensive guy that's going to win 20 to 14. Not in the state of Florida. Not in the state of football the way it is right now. But I do think kind of that that personality helps. You know what's interesting? As I think about this and we're talking about this, to me, Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, he has that, right? He's not afraid to needle people, right, early on. He was able to. But the weird part part about Harbaugh is he feels like his – Style of play doesn't match like his personality sometimes because they're kind of boring and dull and I want to run and I want to be big. And that's the Big Ten to a degree. But look at Ohio State. They're not like that. No, Penn State hasn't been like that recently. And listen, I don't want to talk bad about Harbaugh because I do respect him as a coach, but I feel like a lot of the stuff that he did, especially early on at Michigan, it was all manufactured. It, it was, was, but it was, I kind of liked it. Yeah, but like, but it only matters if you win. Well, exactly. But like to me, like even the whole thing with the, the glasses. Like to me, he's wearing those glasses <laughs> because one day he envisions himself being like on a bust as one of the best college football coaches of all time, and like those glasses are going to be iconic. Well, he's not beating Ohio State, and he's not going to be iconic. Well. At least he kept his shirt on recently. <laughs> That's a good thing. No shirt and khaki's not a good look for Harbaugh. When we come back, Jason Fitz from ESPN. More on the Florida-Georgia game and more on, well, FSU. College Talk next, ESPN 690. 
feels great to come back home and play for my family and be undefeated against Florida every year. It feels good. It feels good because right down the street, Florida is a, uh, is a home is a home home school. Everybody want to go to Florida. I made the best decision of my life to go to Georgia. Hey, shout out to Duval, man. Let's get it. Shout out to Rain. Ah, uh, that's Solomon Kinley all fired up after the win over the Florida Gators on Saturday. Solomon Kinley, big offensive lineman. And I want you to picture this. When he was at Reigns High School here in Jacksonville, yeah. I think they were in his sophomore season. He was an offensive lineman for Reigns. Might have been his junior season. But in the summers, he was the lifeguard over there at uh, the pool <laughs> at Reigns. So we did a story one time on that. It was fun. A uh, great story. Good young man. And he might be arguably the best guard in the country uh, at at his position. So well, he must be a pretty good lifeguard. All you got to do is just stand <laughs> up in the pool. Like you, you, you don't have to swim or anything. You just literally walk to people, carry them out in the deep end. Yeah, don't. You're, you're good to go. Don't run. Yeah. If Solomon says don't run, you don't run. Yeah. I mean, someone's having problems swimming, just literally just jump in and stand up and save them. It's easy. All right, let's welcome in Jason Fitz from ESPN. Brent Martineau, Austin Lane, here on a Tuesday, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Well, I'm sorry that you couldn't come to Jacksonville for the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, but hopefully Beale Street was good. Well, Beale Street was great, but I mean, it's the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Uh, look, it, it was it was a great experience to go to a new city. It always is. One thing I will say that really has stood out to me this year on game day, traveling with game day, certain places when they get it for the first time, it means so much to the city and to the program. So I think one thing lost in the shuffle of, of last week, and, and obviously we all knew Florida Georgia was going to be a great game. The lost in that shuffle was just walking through Beale and walking through Memphis and finding out about a football program that 10 years ago on national TV had 4,000 people in their in their stadium for a home game, and there was a real conversation around the program of even shutting down football or going to a lower level. Could they ever make football relevant? And then there you are 10 years later hosting game day and, and frankly, getting a big win for them against SMU. So really cool moment for Memphis football. I'm not sure it's ever the party, as much of a party as Beal is. I don't think it can ever uh, hold a candle to the world's largest cocktail party, but still, it was a great experience. I give you a lot of credit right there because you just said walking through Memphis instead of walking in Memphis and didn't sing any of it. <laughs> that's a level of restraint I don't usually have, so I felt pretty good about myself. I'm not going to lie. You know, I do think it's kind of cool. Like, if I put myself in the ESPN shoes, right, the, the folks that came up with College Game Day so many years ago that still are a part of it, and then you put yourself, like you just said, in the Memphis football shoes – and say, wow, look at this. You take a moment. Hopefully everybody took a moment to look at that mm-hmm. when you go to a place for the first time. And college game day is such a big deal that everybody comes out. They had lined the streets. And the way that street set up, it, oh, it was a cool been, venue, man. It almost yeah, felt like it. Nashville for the draft, right? Because yep. it kind of goes all the way back that way. Yeah. And But then for Memphis to sit there, hopefully they, they take a look at some of those pictures and say, wow, we have come a long way. So to your point, I mean, it, it's a pretty cool scene. And the more you can do that in different places, the more the more fun it is for everybody. Well, and the other side of it is, man, SEC schools are so good for so long, every stinking year. How do you pick the ones that are really special for game day? I'm glad I don't have to make the decision. Frankly, I don't know who makes the decision. I think they guard that for me so that I don't knock on their door and start, you know, uh, petitioning for whatever I think. It's fair. But, uh, you know, I I don't envy the decision because, let's face it, you know that Florida is good this year. You know Georgia is good. You also know that. Uh, in the past, we've gone to this game. In the past, we've gone to the SEC championship game. It feels like it's really easy to just represent SEC and Big Ten schools because they're going to be good all the time. So 
I think it's pretty awesome that they've, they've been able to find off-the-radar stories because at the end of the day, we're still going to talk about Florida, Georgia, wherever we are that day. So giving the shine to another program for that sort of an advertisement for, for where they are as a football team, man, that's it's, it's pretty powerful. Well, you could have been Mike the Tiger at LSU and picked this week's college game day. We'll get to LSU and Alabama in just a moment. Um, that's going to be a dandy. But before we do that, your take on Florida, Georgia. And as we talked about that game going in, I think some of the conversation was, and I was included, if you take me back to August, I said Georgia and Florida, the game gap is still pretty big but as we got closer and closer the last few weeks to this football game you noticed the gap had closed well i think what georgia said in a statement kind of way with kirby smart and that football team is hey florida you guys still have some catching up to do because jason that didn't really feel like a seven point game no it didn't and you're absolutely right in fact one of the uh one of the people that uh, I, I love that works on our social media team is a florida graduate and so we went all all went out for dinner the night before and I kept saying, guys, if you look at this on paper, this is a two-touchdown game for Georgia. They should win by two touchdowns. And she got so mad, she eventually left the dinner. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I get it, and I understand the passion on it, but it felt like a two-touchdown game. And this is, to your point, you know, this is what we've been waiting for from Georgia all year long. They are, from top to bottom, talent-wise, they are on par with the best of the best across the country. Florida's a little ahead of schedule. We didn't think Florida would be where they are right now, so it's awesome to be ahead of schedule. But I'm telling you, Georgia knew their backs were up against the wall because if they lose that game and they don't make the SEC championship, that's so catastrophic for their program that there will be questions about coaching. There will be questions about what changes need to be made. I mean, the trickle-down effects because of the expectations of Georgia to win a national championship are so heavy that they had to win that game just to keep everybody at bay. Speaking of the SEC, Jason, you guys will be at the, the LSU-Alabama game. It'll be a huge one. But I want to talk about real quick, in my opinion right now, the best team in college football, and that's the Ohio State Buckeyes. Mm. Um, much to the chagrin of, I'm sure, a lot of our listeners here in SEC country, but I truly believe Ohio State is the best team in college football. Everyone's talking about tanking for Tua in the NFL. Choke for Chase Young is what I'm starting, because I think Chase Young uh, is the best defensive player in college. And the reason why I'm such on the Ohio State bandwagon, yes, they crushed my Wisconsin Badgers. Don't need to get into that. But I think right now you have an Ohio State team that hasn't shown any weaknesses. They have a strong offense. They haven't been really beat that bad on defense yet. Even with Alabama, even with LSU, yeah, they have good offenses, but... This Alabama team's also allowed 30-something points to Ole Miss. You know, they, they've also given up 23 points to South Carolina. I think Ole Miss, I think Ohio State right now is the most complete team. Am I wrong? No, I think you're right. Here's the, so let me, let me protect myself with the answer, just so all your SEC fans are happy, too. <laughs> uh, if, I had, uh, if I had an AP vote today, I agree with you that Ohio State is, I think, probably the best team in the country, top to bottom the way they're playing on both sides of the football. LSU has played a tougher schedule, and they've looked great doing it. If I had an AP vote, I would make LSU number one and Ohio State number two. And that's frankly what I think the committee is going to do tonight. I think they're going to make it one-two in that order. Uh, but but you're right also, you know, for the, for the NFL fan out there, I have to remind everybody that you're talking about Chase Young, and you're talking about somebody that is one of the best defensive players we've seen come out in years when he comes out in this draft. It is going to be incredible to watch Chase Young, not just him, but when you talk about the other side, Grant Delpit, the uh, safety that we were all hugely high on from LSU, uh, you, you could be sitting at four, five, or six in this year's draft. And because of the obsession with quarterbacks and the reach that everybody makes in the top two picks, 
You could be looking at getting the best player in next year's draft if you're sitting at four, five, or six simply because of the position they play. That's astounding. Chase Young, we stood on the field, and, and I'll never forget uh, standing next to Mike Gold Jr. We were at the Ohio State-Nebraska game. Chase walked out, and Mike, who is not a small man, just looked over and said, oh, my God, he's huge. Now, when, <laughs> when a former football player says, oh, my God, he's huge, and I'm sitting here at five nine and a quarter. It used to be five nine and a half. And I'm sitting here saying, "My God!" I mean, Chase Young just he he dwarfs everybody on the field with his size and his ability. He is a special player. And you're right. If if I had a vote today, I would take LSU as number one because of who they've beaten and the schedule they played so far. But I I think Ohio State right now is playing like the best team in the country. Jason Fitz from ESPN joining us. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN six ninety. Jason hosts uh, first and last from five to six a.m. here on ESPN six ninety Monday through Friday. Golick and Wingo regular appearances and countdown to game day Saturday mornings with David Pollock and Maria Taylor on ESPN app, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all the rest of them. So always around on the college game day on the Saturday mornings uh, that begins at eight thirty. Uh, by the way, we do want to let you know. Golick and Wingo and Golick Jr., they were here uh, Friday morning, so uh, we got up bright and early. In fact, I was listening to you on my way over to their show here at Intuition Ale on Friday. We hung out with uh, Golick and Wingo and, and Golick Jr. We had a lot of fun over there. I heard it was a blast. I mean, the guys came back just absolutely raving about things. But why is it they always get to have all the fun? And then, I'm, you know, I'm the one that's like, yes, they get to go to game day on Saturday. That's fine. But a lot of these Fridays, when they're out hanging out with y'all, like I'm in a conference room somewhere, in a hotel somewhere, you know, they're, they're having all the good times. And it, it, it feels like the crowd was pretty hyped for it, too. So uh, really cool, a really cool experience. The guys have had nothing but incredible things to say about uh, getting to hang out there in general. So good, good job by you all in making it a great experience, and I'm, I'm proud of you guys for dealing with them for the morning. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty early for me uh, to be dealing with people, but, uh, you know, I know Trey liked the trip because he went and played TPC Sawgrass after, so I know he had a good time. All right, man, the big story around here the last 48 hours has been Willie Taggart out at Florida State. How surprised are you that it happened so quickly, and you were just in Memphis Mike Norvell's name is going to float around this job. Would he be a good candidate and good hire if uh, the folks in Tallahassee chose to go that way? Yes. I mean, there's no two ways about it, and I feel terrible for Memphis answering it that way because Memphis wants desperately to keep Mike Norvell there. One of the special things about Mike Norvell, and, and you can see this, when he talked to everybody on game day, I had the chance to spend a few minutes off air with Coach, and when you had the opportunity to talk to him, one of the things he stressed so much and every question he was asked by every press person it, it was that his job is to figure out what the strength of his players are and to make those players better and to find ways to make those players shine and that's what they've been able to do i mean when you talk about memphis and the fact that they lost two uh, two running backs to the nfl draft this year and everybody thought because of that they were going to be done and instead they've simply been able to reload with another freshman coming in but even when he's not able to get the production that they want, he's been able to get uh, so much production out of Brady White, the quarterback there. I look offensively. What Mike Norvell is really good at doing is stepping back and saying, who do I have, what plays can they make, and how can we get them into the best situation possible? That sounds very simple. I don't think enough coaches go out and say, what do I have and how can I play with them, instead of looking at it and saying, who's going to play my system? Mike Norvell is a special coach, I think. Uh, Now, that being said, I, I am surprised. Uh, as bad as things look for Willie Taggart, I'm surprised that they pulled the plug right now. To me, that's a statement that they want to get ahead of everybody else on the sales pitch for why Florida State can be great. And, you know, when it comes down to college football, college football is all about recruiting. It's all about facilities. It's all about the money that goes into these programs. And we know Florida State can have 
all of those advantages. So the fact that it hasn't been taken advantage of, you know, I, I, that obviously means a change was coming in the eyes of a lot of people. But if they made the change as early as they did, then they better go out and make a flashy hire to me to tell everybody why they made the change when they did. Yeah, absolutely. Jason Fitz from ESPN joined us. And uh, all right, I'm going to end with this, okay? And I hope you don't mind. And hopefully I, I have a clue what I'm talking about here, if I remember all this correctly. But uh, Jason Fitz, who joins us, used to be with the band Perry, uh, played the fiddle. And I got a chance Sunday night to go down to St. Augustine Amphitheater, and I saw Old Dominion play. And I believe while they were playing, now I had to leave early, so my wife was sharing this with me, so I hope I have this story right. But I think one of their band members wrote one of your top hits for the band. Yeah, a couple of them. Uh, uh, So I've known the Old Dominion guys for 20 years when it was just two guys, and they were struggling to make it. So, yeah, they did. They wrote uh, Chainsaw was written by one of the guys. And Better Dig 2 was written by another one of the guys. So they actually do a segment in their show uh, every night where they played, I think it's seven number one hits they've had for other acts before anybody had ever heard of Old Dominion. And it's all, you know, a couple of those Man Perry songs are in there. Yeah, 100%. There we go. See that? I, I wanted done, to just connect it all right yeah. here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Hey, thanks. News, Brent. Thank you. Thanks, man. Appreciate you joining us. Thanks and so we'll talk to you next week. week. <laughs> Have a good one. All right, Jason Fitz. Uh, you can catch him, by the way. I did end up here first and last, not usually up at 5 in the morning, 5 yeah. to 6, but he yeah. kind of introduces the Golik and Wingo show yeah. on ESPN 690. So if you're up at 5 a.m., you can cho- tune into the show uh, for Jason Fitz. He also will join uh, those guys regularly in the morning at Golik and Wingo. And then, of course, on uh, the Countdown to College Game Day, I know the social media apps at 8.30. This week they'll be in Tuscaloosa. I guess we really didn't even ask him much about uh, LSU Alabama. No, we really didn't. But it's all good, though. We're going to talk more yeah. about that later in the week. Uh, we know there's a lot on the line. Cruz, is this Old Dominion right here? No, this I'm is ca- called this is Journey. Journey. Hey, Brent, I was joking, man. Can I can I get my own punchline off, please? No, because Dang, when, I man. Know, when I know something and somebody doesn't, I get excited. Do you, do you want a cookie that you recognize Don't Stop Believing? Uh, and we're going to give away some tickets to see Journey coming up right after this. See, this musical transition has just happened. It's fantastic. Here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. We come back, a chance to win some Journey tickets. It's on the way. Next. A singer in a snow room. Yeah, it sucked, man. Um, didn't execute at times. Uh, didn't make plays I needed to win. Um, so, yeah, it's not fun. That is Gardner Minshew from Wembley Stadium in London. That was his entire news conference. That was it. My understanding was nobody asked any follow-up questions. And that's the, that's the thing. I kind of felt bad because uh, a lot of people said, hey, Gardner Mitchell didn't have much to say after that, you know, coming off the big all the turnovers in the fourth quarter, probably his final game, all everything. Yeah. But really it was a case of there weren't a lot of media people in there. There were enough, though, to ask more than one question, I thought. Uh, sorry, be a little critical, but I was like, what the heck? I mean, can we ask more than one question? But there weren't a lot of – because. You know, you get split up. You go to the locker room or you go to the podium. Yeah. And, well, because it's in London, there aren't the normal amount of people that are normally at the news conferences. So that was it. Like they asked, do you have any other questions? Nobody said anything. So he was gone. So it's nothing to do with Gardner. It was more just there were not – it was one of those circumstantial things. And uh, 
It was shocking, though, because we had the post-game show. We're like, was that it? That's I actually, all we, got? we said to the producers, we're like, did we miss the first couple of minutes? Like, <laughs> right. Was that it? Right. I, that's the shortest news conference for a starting quarterback in NFL history yeah. that didn't go, like, awry. You yeah. know, like one that... I was like, going to say, Cam was, Newton had one, I think. Yeah, like... I one that one, Baker like, didn't walk out over something. Right. That's Cleveland. what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, one of those kind. But I bet that well, this one was even shorter than that. For sure. I mean, it's unbelievable. So, that's all we got. And now that's I guess, why we need Brett Martin uh, over there asking the hard questions, uh, man. We need to get that missed you. But on the flip side, what else is he going to say, too? I mean, well, it would have been more you know, of the same. You know, when we get to talk to him, hopefully on Monday. I mean, yeah. was he pressing a little bit? Did yeah. he know that the time was coming to? You know, we said that two weeks ago too, though, when he played lights out two weeks ago. But I think it hits you a little bit more. Like, all right, this could be it. I want to go out there and win really badly. I want to play really great. So they have to make a decision. I don't know how that does. That's human nature. That's a competitor. I don't know how that doesn't enter your mind. And so I think it's a fair question to ask uh, with Gardner Minshew. Did it happen? By the way, if you just joined in, if you, if you haven't seen anything yet, Nick Foles will be the starter coming out of the bye week. Uh, Doug Marone saying that today, uh, but no reaction from any of the players. We won't get that likely until Monday. So uh, we'll see what everybody has to say about it. And the, the good thing about the locker room is this isn't a, a divisive thing. I think the locker room likes both guys. I think mm-hmm. the locker room is fine with either quarterback. But what it's time for in Jacksonville is to win football games and win win them in bunches. You know, a few weeks ago it was time to get turnovers and get them in bunches. Now it's time to win and win in bunches. And the Jags have to do that if they have any hope of going anywhere uh, in 2019. Brent Morneau, Austin Lane, John Bachman stops by here on a Tuesday. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Uh, I am up to, by the way, my no sugar. I started yesterday, no sugar. No sugar, no sugar until Thanksgiving. No oh, sugar, wow. no alcohol till Thanksgiving. Really? I'm trying. And this is out of just you, well, where you, I go, where I work out. They have a, a thing. They they put it out there okay. to do it. Yeah. So I was like, all right, let me try it. It's a tough time of year to try anything like this. All right, <laughs> to get a little crazy. Yeah. But I want to. I want to feel like not like 15 pounds heavier than I normally do by sure. the time I get to December and, and when you start eating everything in sight. Yeah. So I think uh, we're trying it. I, I honestly don't. I can do a lot of things. Yeah. And I feel like I can do like almost anything. Yeah. Of course. This one might be a struggle though. Are you, are you hurting right now? Like you're starting to have the sugar withdrawals a little bit. Not yet. Not okay. yet. But it's coming. Okay. You lost me at the alcohol part. Yeah. <laughs> well, you should try it, quite frankly. It would wonders for you and your career. Is this an intervention, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of food, so Austin says, hey, I was going to stop by Popeye's. Oh, yeah. For you guys and pick oh, everybody up a sandwich. Sure, that was nice. Because yeah. we haven't had any. Like, right? Yeah. And, right. And he's like... The line's insane. insane. Oh, He's like, it's no kind way. of a big deal, I guess. Yeah. He said, people are killing people over the they sandwiches are. now. When you, when you check Twitter once every five days, you just realize <laughs> that. And, and listen, <laughs> like, it, it was my plan that I dropped off my son this morning, and my plan was to go like around noon when it kind of opens up to get the Popeye's <laughs> sure. But listen, dude, like, I dropped off my son. I'm like, hopefully I, I can see tonight. Like, hopefully I'm still gonna be around because I'm going to Popeye's and I don't know. What <laughs> like, to you're, you're taking like, your, yeah. Yeah. So I, I gave an extra little squeeze and I'm like. Son, I love you, and if something happens, man, like, you're the man of the house now. I had to tell my son this just to get a Popeye's chicken sandwich. Now, I didn't get it because the line was too long, but that's oh. the risk I'm willing to take right well. now, guys. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> it's a sad state of affairs no when that's the case. conversation with her, with oh. her boy. Oh. And then, oh. by Here the way, Coos jumped in. He's like, man, I just can't imagine getting that worked up. I would kill somebody at Popeye's for a chicken sandwich. I was like, Coos, I can't imagine getting that worked up. I would kill somebody. And let's, let's, let's start, start there. Watch out for Coos. Let's come start in here. there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You're Did the you one who has a knife the in the uh, line, by the way. 
I'm sorry? Like, did you just look at the outside, the car Dude, lane? No, no. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going inside. Absolutely not. No. I bet there was no line in there. I bet there was. Yeah. You, what, you think you're the first person to think of going inside <laughs> for a fast food restaurant? No, but have you ever been to Chick-fil-A? Dude, I've been to McDonald's. Hey, I've been to McDonald's at, you know, 10 o'clock right before breakfast is over, and I see people how they act inside. So, <laughs> no, I'm not going to go inside. See, I'm not, I've said this for a long time. I'm not. I hate the drive-thru. Yeah? Hate it. Really? Yeah. With a passion. Hmm. I go in just 99% of the time. Even if the drive through there's nobody there, I go in. Unless I'm going to like a Sonic or yeah. something like that, and there's nowhere really to go in. But, uh, yeah, I want to, hmm. I don't know, I like going in. Interesting. I, and I feel, because I'm also not the, the guy that, uh, when they give it to you, I don't sit there, pull up for three minutes and check that I got everything. Yeah. So I almost would rather see everything thing go in the bag yeah. myself yeah. to make sure so I don't have to circle around because then I'm getting pissed off if I have to go back. <laughs> Man, a psychologist would have a heyday with this t- conversation today. I'm just telling you, that's the way right. I think. I, that's I, like, right. It's got to be a little OCD in me or something, something, but I just would rather go inside. Like, if there's a line of six people, and you know how they do this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they grade the drive through line. So, like, you can have seven peep, 17 people in the drive through line, and you can go in and you can be, like, one of two people, yeah. and that 17th person's getting their damn stuff before you get your stuff. <laughs> it's happening. It has. And I, I know this, and I still go inside. Yeah. I, I got nothing. You guys are experts. I'm, I'm learning a lot right you now. Guys, I, I, I have, food, you don't do right? fast food? I, 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 <laughs> or drink coffee John, or something. you don't do fast food? I do it. I just don't oh. do it very often. I oh, used I to do you. it a lot more when I was younger. It's hard to It's hard to still do it at, um, when you get up in age. Well, because it's hard to digest, but I'm still the guy that comes from the realm of theory where Taco Bell is actually healthy for you. So that's what I always tell myself. I'm like, ah, you know what? If like, you go Fresca style, it is. I don't go Fresca style at all. I go chili cheese burrito style. So. <laughs> it's, it's the best <laughs> the fast foods yeah. for you. I got a quick talk about so you want to hear it? We got time? Let's do it. All right, so... My, I don't know if John does, my, but okay, I, I got time. So back in 2011, uh, Taco Bell debuted the Doritos Locos Taco. And what it was, it was the taco shell yeah. of the Cool Ranch thing. I went there the night that it dropped, and I ordered 12 of them. Now, <laughs> I went through the drive-thru, and they said... Well, we can't do that. You have to come inside. No problem. I'll come inside. Obviously, me being worried about my brand and, you know, displaying this to Twitter, I took a picture of it. Didn't know that I was going get, to get back to the Jaguars nutritionist. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I'm not even lying. Like, we was so, I come to the stadium the next day, you know, Luke Richardson? Yeah. You remember Luke? Yeah, Luke. Yeah. Luke's like, Austin, come here. I'm like, what's up, man? How's it going? You know, I'm in good mood. I just had 12 tacos last night. <laughs> I'm feeling good, dude. And, hey, spoiler alert, in case you guys didn't know. Those Doritos Locos tacos they with the, the Cool Ranch cell? Come on, let's go. Hey, they're pretty good. Mouth is watering they right now. They are pretty good, man. So, so I walk uh, into the stadium, and Luke's like, why don't you come to my office real quick? I'm like, all right. I didn't do anything wrong. We're all good. Brings up the picture of the tacos. And the, the, the way I set it up is I, I line them up on my dash like it was like I was Tony Montana getting ready to take a big line for some reason. But they're on my dash of my car. So there's 12 tacos in a line on the dash of my car. I'm like, all right, I feel like Tony Montana. Hashtag, I think, Scarface, whatever it was. So Luke shows me the picture, and he's like, can you explain yourself? I'm like, what's up, man? He's like, you can't eat this. He's like, you didn't eat all those tacos. I'm like... I really did, Luke. Yeah, I, I ate 12 tacos. I mean, not in one setting. I, I kind of gradually throughout the night, you know, it was, it was a very personal experience for me. But I had 12 of them. And literally, dude, like, he was like he was upset. He's like, you, you're 
killing your body, all this stuff. I'm like, whatever, dude. They're good tacos. How about that? That's yeah. awesome. You know, it reminds me a little bit of, remember when Jalen Ramsey first got here? Yeah. He said something <laughs> like he had Skittles and Cheetos and, and, and all that stuff. Hot, yeah, it was like a cheese slice or a hot dog. I thought and something I, just and basic. I, and I think they called him in, too, for yeah, it. Because yeah. he kind of said so. It was yeah. Twitter back and forth. Yeah. But <laughs> Man, they never hate day with the newsroom. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, that's some right. of the best stuff we could have. Anywho. Hey, uh, I know you're going to tell us what you have coming up yeah, on yeah. CBS 47 and Fox 30, but... Uh, you know, yesterday we talked a lot about the Shad Khan stuff. We we started with you, and then we kept going, actually, Good. for about another half hour yeah. with the Khan stuff in London. But then how interesting was it last night? You see that report that uh, the Chargers going yeah. to London yeah. was a viable <laughs> thing? And then, wow, their have owner you ever seen an that. owner say what he said? I didn't see what he said. The but owner just absolutely blasted. Get the dunk button ready. Oh, boy. Yeah, well, no, I'm not going to read well, it I like know, that. Uh, hold on. Let me t- let me find it for the full quote from Chargers owner Dean Spanos. Quote: It's total effing BS. Okay, <laughs> we're not going to London. We're not going anywhere. We're playing in Los Angeles. This is our home. This is where I'm planning to be for a long effing time. Period. Okay. Well, that's yeah. I mean, you can't pull that back. Hard to pull that one back. Yeah. Um, now this is a guy that you know a lot of people in San Diego still are not very happy with. Well, the let's be honest. The Jags have had to deal with this conversation for a long yeah. time, so you can recognize, you can probably understand his frustration, I guess, to some degree. Yeah. But as long as it's not the Jags, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, right. Well, but <laughs> it plays back into that a little bit. And there's a lot more discussion of uh, what's going on with the. London two games and and how people you know there's a lot of Jaguars Twitter and social media and, mm-hmm. and and commentary about it that they would be fed up with the idea of it and we had this discussion yesterday about some of that and I'm sensitive to it I get it and, and just a reminder I'm a season ticket holder like for my kids and and my wife and um I don't think I'd be happy about it either I I thought about this last night from my point of view and it's a rear it's a weird point of view right I cover the Jags but obviously the kids are growing up. And I don't think, like, my kids haven't said, hey, Dad, if they go two games to London, I don't want to go to the game anymore. Yeah. Right? They haven't said anything like that. Uh, and I really haven't said that. Like, I think I would still go to the games and buy the, whatever games are remaining. I also understand why people would be fed up with that and wouldn't want to go to and spend their money when you're giving away some of the games to another place and it doesn't feel like it's all you, yours. I thought some folks brought up an interesting discussion too. When it does come to a point where they need a new stadium in Jacksonville, which that will come, mm-hmm. you know, sooner than later probably. Most definitely. And we've already discussed it many times on yeah. CBS 47 and Fox 30 and, and Mark Lamping has kind of started that discussion mm-hmm. quietly and softly, mm-hmm. but it's coming. And I think they brought up a good point of when you want public dollars for a stadium, yet you're not even playing all your games in that stadium, that could bring a second part of this down the road. And who knows what Jacksonville looks like at that point, right? I mean, you know, we were having the Green Bay discussion. The one thing we left out of the Green Bay discussion is I guarantee you uh, Fortune 500 companies or big businesses around Green Bay all are in on the Packers. There's not a lot else, right? There's Wisconsin football, basketball, yeah, yeah. but there's there's the it's, Green it Bay is the Green Packers. Packers. And right. so all the people are in. Well, one of our problems in Jacksonville has been, not only are we still in our infancy, really, as an organization, we're a growing market. We The Jags have not won games enough to pull people from all over the place, say, I really want to be there. The energy's awesome. I can't wait to go watch them win. But there also isn't a mass number of Fortune 500 companies, dollars. Now, more and more are coming to the city. 
But you need those kind of dollars, too. As the city grows, you'll be able to get more corporate dollars involved, I would think. You're right. I, I, and, and maybe Austin knows more about this because you grew up there. But I don't know that there are any, uh, any more Fortune 500 companies supporting the Packers. I mean, one thing the Packers have that nobody else has, of course, is this whole fan ownership thing where you yeah. can basically and, – and let's be honest, there's really no ownership there. You, you're basically just donating money. It's a, it's a crowdsourcing uh, issue where you can buy stock in the Packers, <laughs> and I used air quotes there for the audience <laughs> because it's not stock. You're not getting anything back from that. John yeah. Kerpel, now we have listeners back in Wisconsin. I, right? I, understand, I understand. I understand. I understand. My, my mom's a diehard Packer fan. Okay, she I'm grew up in Wisconsin. She yeah. is a shareholder. But <laughs> – there, I mean, it's it's a fun, you know. So, my, my getting back to the original point, Green Bay is a, is a small town. It's a you know, there's the meat packing and 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 uh, paper mills and those kinds of blue collar industry. Industry, yeah. yeah. Not like you Atlanta, where you've got you know Coca Cola, UPS. I'm forgetting a Charlotte, whole bunch of them. Galore, Correct. Right? I mean, yeah. you can look at each one of these cities and say, yeah, there are some big uh, big dollars behind them. And, and, and so that's, I guess that's why I brought up Green Bay as a pretty good, uh, comparison because of the size, because it's a more of a blue collar town, et cetera. So yes, there are more of a statewide, more regional, even national brand because of their history. And there's definitely a lot of that. And I think that's the best argument, putting the Packers ahead of the Jags in that regard. But otherwise, I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case. You know, th- there, there are more corporate Entities behind a lot of other teams than than you put the Packers for sure. Yeah, I guess that's fair. At I, least I just from feel what like, I can gather, I feel like the Packers are I, like I, the Ohio yeah. State Buckeyes. You know what I mean? Like in Ohio, the Ohio State Buckeyes are the team in Ohio. Correct. Right. Yeah. And more so than the Browns or the Bengals or the Reds or the or the or the Indians. They are. Yeah. They're like the brand. Oh, the Packers and, are the brand in in parts of Minnesota even where they have the Vikings. They're the brand yeah. in parts of Iowa where Iowa is split between Minnesota, Chicago, and Kansas City. Even some. Denver fans. I mean, so yeah, yeah and that's they my are point. a brand from no doubt. So if you and have that a goes, dollar to spend, you want to spend it with the Packers is, is kind of my point. Absolutely. Where, that's where it makes it a little bit more apples and oranges to me. But I think yeah. that goes back to the culture, the historical, Absolutely. Uh, the, the winning. That they, Lombardi, man. The, exactly. Star. Yeah. To, you know, the Cowboys. The, that'd be another example, except the Cowboys are a different story altogether. But it's that history, that longevity that they have that we can never well, compete with. And, and to kind of prove your point a little bit like yeah there's not a lot of fortune 500 companies maybe in the city of green bay but at the same time like in terms of sponsorships like if, if you go back to wisconsin you turn on the tv you're going to see a green bay packer player endorse something on tv during a show regardless of what it is you know I mean, it doesn't matter what time it is it could be an offensive line whether like, you're in milwaukee or somewhere yeah, exactly else. Like, yeah. they're, they're just treated like you know like yeah. like god basically yeah, yeah royalty exactly and it doesn't matter if you're aaron Rodgers or on the, the bottom of the roster like if you're a green bay packer you're treated like a god so i think from the funding that kind of goes into some of that but at the same time it also helps when you only have one team one professional team in the state as opposed to having three like the Dolphins. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers as well, and you're winning, and, and you're winning, winning. and that's so and you're winning, winning is a huge part yeah. of it. And people brought that up. I, I forget the Jags' record since Shad Khan bought the team, but obviously 2017 was the lone year where it was unbelievable. Yeah, and be honest with you, I think Shad Khan has done a lot of things to try to get this to be a successful football team. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I think he's tried. It's not like he sat back. Like there are people that like are fans of 
like the Chargers are one that they've kind of at times have they sat back a little bit or in baseball, like the Pittsburgh Pirates or something like that, where like you're not even trying to spend the Rays. I mean, are they've they've overachieved considering on what they're trying to do in terms of spending dollars and winning. I mean, I don't think shot. That's not been the case here in Jacksonville. I mean, he's tried to if the coach doesn't work, get a new coach, spend money with free agency, spend money around the stadium, spend money around the city. So I don't know if it's like, well, yeah, he just bought the team and he's just been, you know, run the team. They haven't had success. I don't fully put that on Shad Khan, I guess is my point. The other thing that really rubbed people the wrong way, though, is him saying that there's a limited audience, essentially, here in Mm -hmm. Jacksonville for Mm -hmm. football Mm -hmm. based on it. And uh, people didn't take to that Mm -hmm. very well the last couple of days. That's right. And and from a business standpoint as well, we can't underestimate the importance of of a global quarterback. Because to be fair, yes, the Green Bay Packers, they have won a lot of games. But Brett Favre went to two Super Bowls in his entire career, only won one of them. Aaron Rodgers right now, Mr. Discount Double Check, Mr. State Farm, he's only been to one Super Bowl and won it. So from that perspective, you have to keep in mind, we're talking about Minshew and Foles now, where what guy could maybe possibly push you over that ledge and be kind of like that household name, that global brand marketing? Obviously, I think it's Gardner Minshew, and of course it's important to win the games as well. But you got to keep in mind, having that quarterback to face the franchise is an important piece in developing a, a great franchise. And that's really where I think the Jags have been different mm-hmm. in the last decade or recently compared to the decade prior. Uh, once like Jimmy Smith and Fred Taylor left, really had Maurice Jones-Drew as the only guy that people knew. Like they didn't know anybody, quite yeah. frankly. And if they did, it was because they were a butt of a joke, Blaine Gabbard or, or someone like that, you know, or now even Bortles as he got going. But they had star. Well, Ramsey was a big one. Yeah. Now they don't have. Him. But the Gardner Minshew stuff, even of this year, Nick Foles is a Super Bowl MVP. He, he's a guy that people know. Calais Campbell and the young players that they do have, like a Miles Jack, I, I think even have some bit of a a footprint in across football. And Leonard Fournette's a big star, I think, across the country. I think people know who he is mm-hmm. from the college days, all the name. Mm-hmm. So they do have that to brand themselves a little bit more. Now, Ramsey was a big one. You know, yeah. when we were having those conversations about Ramsey, yeah, they lost that in Ramsey in a big-time way. Bottom line is they've got to win football games. And I know people get hurt, and, and, and I get it, because you put so much and invested so much of your money and your time and of trying to build this up and you want it so bad. But sometimes the cold hard facts in terms of the numbers of of how many fans there are in Jacksonville, how many people there are in Jacksonville, that it is still a smaller market. Sometimes those can still be correct. I just don't think people want to hear it sometimes from the owner of the football team, given the state of where this is right now. Well, there's a lot of things there. First of all, you're 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 right. I mean, you're and it's more than just money and time, right? These this is our home. This Absolutely. Is, this is you're you're yeah. talking about my home and nobody talks bad about my home. I might make fun of my home, but you're not going to make not, fun yeah. of my home. Even yeah. if you're and, the owner of the football team. And, and but he's the owner of the football team. This isn't his home. Let's well, I mean, right? It's not, it's his, not home. his home. You see the yacht and that's not that's not Jacksonville. I mean, Love the yacht, don't get me wrong, but I mean, <laughs> but you can't and, be and if you're listening, Sean, I'd love to come see the thing. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, but, man. Don't ruin uh, this for all of us now, John. But, but, but I mean, I, I, in all seriousness, <laughs> though, show from there. Sweet. That's what yeah. I'm saying, bro. I like your style. I yes. like that. I'll come by in person for that one. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, though, I mean, you know, it, this is this is personal. It's more than just an investment. This is personal. And the other thing too, though, is a, a couple things. You're right. He's done a lot, and and and, and but but winning would you know cures all. It really Absolutely. does. Absolutely. But he's also he has done a lot and he stands to 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 do a lot for the community, but the community's also put a lot in as well. You know, we're talking about this four hundred fifty million dollar lot J investment. Well, 
250 million of that's coming from the city. Mm-hmm. You know, so you look at it. Here's a guy who stands to make a lot of money, and he's putting less than half. Now, again, that's a lot, and nobody's going to develop downtown without Shad Khan. So, again, it's important to note all of those things. But you can understand where people are coming from. You can, no. John. But the only thing is here is again, power is power, and yeah. he's a, he's in a position of power. He owns the football team. He can do whatever the hell he wants well, to do with the football he team. Can. You're and right. And so the fact that some all you got to do is really ask yourself, uh, you got to. What if it wasn't here? What would it feel like in Jacksonville? All those things. Those are real questions, whether you want to admit well, it or not. And I'm not saying he's threatening that. Yeah. But I'm just saying you have to still acknowledge the guy has power here. And yep. he's got a lot of dollars here. And he can make this awesome and help make it awesome. And part of that is winning. They better get it done on the field. They, I said it yesterday. They missed a huge opportunity last year rolling into this year when they were coming off 2017 to put multiple years of winning together. And they flopped. Mm-hmm. It was a big-time failure instead and that was a big miss a huge we could look back at the end of this someday and say that was a big window of opportunity miss for the Jacksonville Jaguars but you just can't deny he's in a position of power and sometimes you have to cater to that power and listen if you're the owner of an NFL team winning comes in two ways obviously winning football games Shad Khan hasn't done a lot of that since he's been here okay let's be honest here but also winning in the business sense is how much money how much profits are you garnering from you know the, the fan base and things of that nature and if you're not winning in that nature, if you're not making a lot of money, if you're actually losing money, then it's time to find different ways to make the more money. If that's going to London or whatever it is, so be it. But I'm just saying he's a billionaire for a reason. And he understands, like, yes, you have to be loyal to the city that, you know, kind of appointed you. But at the same time, it's about making the money as well. It, that is no doubt the truth. But remember, it's not, money, it's not losing yeah. money. It's yeah. not making as much money as, as you he want. As want. want. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, that's his prerogative because he invested the money. And as you said, you don't get to be a billionaire without having numbers and having goals. So, But to be very clear, he's making money. He's yeah. just not making as much as perhaps he feels he needs to for whatever the reason may be. I hope you didn't have to write scripts. What do you got coming up tonight on Real CBS quickly, 47 if you Fox saw 30. the news last night, um, the car that plowed yeah, yeah. through the house. I've been in this business for 22 years. I've seen a lot of cars into houses. I have not seen a car launch through a grass berm, a fence, and then go into a house and all the way through the house. This is an incredible story, and the fact that nobody, there are two people in that house and nobody was hurt. It is crazy, and there's going to be more to this story because I really want to know how fast this Camaro was going, whether the driver was under the influence. There's a lot to unpack on this story. It's remarkable. We're working on following up on that story tonight on Action News Jackson Yeah, looking Fox. forward to that and seeing the pictures of that one and the entire story tonight. CBS 47 and Fox 30. John Bachman, Tanika Hughes, Mike Burrish, and we'll join them as well on CBS 47 and Fox 30. Thanks, man. Have a good night. We'll be back. We'll talk more Jags and well, college football, too, next. The glass is always full because it, because it's maybe full, half full of water and still full of air. So we got to keep that glass full. We got to keep a chip on our shoulder, and we got to find a way to get a win. <laughs> I have no idea what Jameis Winston's talking about, but that's why you're two and six. I don't think you'll see that quote next to Vince Lombardi somewhere <laughs> in the quote book in the annals of history. The glass, the glass is, always is always full because it's, because it's maybe full, half full of water and still full of air. So we got to keep that glass full. We got to keep a chip on our shoulder and we got to find a way to get a win. I mean, if you want to get technical, there's atoms in there too, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's how atoms work. They make up the glass. So, yeah, good call, James. No idea what y'all are talking about. But, uh, you know, James didn't play. James hasn't played 
unbelievably bad. Like even in that game, I don't think he played poorly in Seattle. They gave no, up 40 I mean, points. No, the offense had a, had a good day. Uh, but And he's had moments, yeah. and then he has like these two or three turnover days, or it really comes in like a span of, you know, not many plays it feels like, but I, I just feel like they're going to turn the page on the Jameis Winston uh, experiment. That probably will happen uh, sooner than later. We're going to give away journey tickets in just a little bit. Coming, by the way, August 24th. Put it on your calendar. That's 2020. <laughs> we are trying to get ahead of things. Map out your 2020 starts, with us. Starts at 7 p.m. Thank you very much. At the arena. Yes. Get your tailgate party ready. <laughs> Start calling off work right now. Get that all online and everything. Well, that's true. If you yeah. need to call off work, you will be first. Assuming you still have the, the job portal. then. I don't know. It's a long ways away, so we'll see. But, yeah. Can you imagine, like... I mean, I don't know what I'll be doing on August 24th Dude, we, next we, year. we can't even plan on Thanksgiving, like, if we're going to be gone or going to be here, just because that's not really our style. But alone, <laughs> true. playing on for 2020. Not yet. Yeah, I mean, I seriously do have problems for Thanksgiving. I'm not sure what we're going to do. Yeah. Here's what, what would you do? Real quick, a, a quick poll, and then uh, we'll get to Bone Fall and all the rest. We've got plenty of time on the show. Um, but my personal life is more important. Of course. Um, you're, you're the boss. The uh, So we're thinking of going to the Egg Bowl. Which is Mississippi and Mississippi State. Okay. Okay. So where, where was it at? Starkville. Starkville. Okay, Mississippi State. All right. Okay. So we go there with the neighbors. Ring okay. the bell. Yep. Okay. Got it. Neighbors are good people. Yeah. yeah. We figure they know how to party. We really don't, but we'll jump in. <laughs> so then I saw Alabama and Auburn. The Iron Bowl is Saturday. So now Ooh. I'm thinking if we go to the Egg Bowl, drive over not too far to Auburn this year yeah. and go to the Iron Bowl if I can find a way to get tickets. Yeah. You but can. Then, Use your media credentials. You're good. That's not how it works, man. Right. You work for ESPN. You're good to go. That's true. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that will work. Uh, but anyway, so that's option one. Option I love that two option. might be like, I've kind of driven already to Mississippi this year. <laughs> you know, yeah. the Egg Bowl is not that big this year because both of them stink. Correct. And I love my neighbors, yeah. but I can go across the street and see the neighbors. Correct. So option two might be like, I've, I want to go to the Blue Ridge Mountains at some point. Mm. All right? Yep. So I've never been. Yeah. So I say maybe go Thursday, Friday, Blue Ridge Mountains, and swing by the Iron Bowl potentially on the way home mm. on Saturday. Yeah. But I don't know if two days is enough to go up to the mountains. I, I'm not sure. So I'm debating. While we debate that, let's do a little bit of balling. Let's get it. So my balling, since we didn't do it yesterday, but it's still topical because I've spoke this guy's praises all year long. Brent, he is my leader. He is my fearless captain of my fantasy football team, and that is Lamar Jackson. Um, Lamar Jackson, you know, the New England Patriots, the big, bad Patriots. Listen, I, I sing their defensive praises a lot. Well, Lamar Jackson comes out and says, cool, check this out. Uh, 17 for 23, 163 yards, a touchdown, and then ran for 61 yards and two TDs. Um, it was kind of Welcome like, to the varsity, Patriots. Okay, okay, okay. See, I knew, I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming right now. Okay. Yes, the, the Ravens kind of curb stomped uh, the Patriots. I mean, should we get Bill Belichick on the chopping block right now? Because that was a bad performance by the Patriots. No, but you should put the historical 5.9 points a game defense and listen, put that to rest. Listen, all right, Brent, and, and I agree with you there. But to be fair, this is a copycat league, right? So if you're an NFL team right now and you're listening to ESPN 690, 
if you want to beat the New England Patriots, because the Ravens just did it, all you need to have is a is an offensive line that runs the power. You need to have three legit bona fide tight ends that are good in the run game and in the pass game. You have to have a Mike Vick type quarterback that can run the option, and then you have to have Mark Ingram that can run the pistol. If you have all those things, then guess what? You can beat the Patriots. Now go ahead and tell me how many teams can do that right now in the NFL. Or potentially, go. all you really have to do is score 24 points to win. And go. How many teams can run the pistol right now in the NFL? And go. You think this is the only team that can beat Bill Belichick and Patriots defense? I'm just that saying, That was the most man. overhyped freaking defense I've ever seen. <laughs> See, and this is the thing, too. This could happen at a better time for the Patriots. Now, yes, am I on the Patriots bandwagon? A little bit because I have them going to the Super Bowl, losing to the Saints. But I think this is good for the Patriots because now, yes, they got beat in the trenches. It was a physical game. They got outmanned. But Belichick always finds a way to correct it, you know? And guess what? Not too many teams in the NFL going undefeated. So oh, I'm not too worried about rated. it. I'm not, how are the Cowboys looking? They won last night. 37-18. Yeah, they did, by the way. We're going to take a break. You can win journey tickets. Caller number three, 362-9901. 904-362-9901. Or star star 690. And you can have your plan set for next August 24th by winning journey tickets right now on ESPN 690. More of that conversation and Bowen and Fallen next here on the show. Who was that? Ryan Clark in the update? Yeah. I think it was Ryan Clark in the update talking about the Minshew and Foles situation. And he said, Coughlin and Caldwell made that choice. We'll see if it works or something to that effect. Sure. I don't think they made the choice. I don't think so either. Am I naive here? Am I dumb? Am, am, well, don't answer that. If, But, I mean, <laughs> I, I genuinely think this was Doug Marone's call. But it's funny how, like, the outside perception is Coughlin is making every call in that building. I don't think that's correct. Yeah. I really don't. Um, and, again, maybe I'm going to – I mean, the way Doug Marone has coached this football team. No, this is his team. This is – I don't know. I would imagine there's more friction on some of the moves that he's made and some of the decisions that he's made than there is agreement. Yeah. Yet he's still done it his way. That's what I would guess. So I just I just find it humorous that I think outside and, and again, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong. I don't get, I don't think I am. I, I think Doug Marone is making made that decision. Again, it's not like he said, hey, guys, I'm locking my door and I'm making this decision. I'm not even going to tell you. I'll tell you when you hear it on the media. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. Did they have some input? Did they look at some numbers? Did they did he confirm everything that he thought? Hey, what do you guys think? Yeah, that happens. Mm-hmm. But I'm. I think he made the decision here. Yeah. Uh, just interesting how people view it sometimes. Yeah, you know, and I think if you're on that national media, Brent, sometimes it's hard to keep your ear to the ground to every single team, right? Like, you just kind of have to oh, speak in generalities and, and, and principles, and you kind of throw something at the wall. You, hopefully it sticks. And But we're we're close to it. We we know what's happening, and we understand that Doug Mar- Doug Marone's fingerprint is all over this team. Whether it's from the training camp, um, you know, kind of easing up off the reins a little bit, or other things of that nature. It's just it's the fact that Doug Marone is calling the shots now. Yes, I think, you know, Coach John Filippo, he had some input, obviously, because I think he's the closest guy to that quarterback room. But at the end of the day, I agree with you. I think it was Doug Marone's decision to start Nick Foles. Congratulations to, I think, Stephen Muncy, I think, uh, is our winner of the journey tickets. We're going to give away tickets the rest of the week, right, Coos? Yeah, okay. So we'll like do that it. the rest of the week. So make sure you uh, tune in at various times 
or just all the freaking time, people. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Uh, of course, you can listen to us on the radio, on the stream, ESPN690.com, on the apps, and also you can watch the video uh, on all the social media platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, and the rest. We appreciate you uh, checking out the show. You know we are approaching? What's that? A big number. 100? Nope. Two, I don't know. How many shows have we done? I'm sorry. It's not I, the show. That was way off. Not the shows. One million. One million. We're approaching one million views. No kidding. On the social media platforms. I like that. I have no idea if that's good or not so good, but I'm going to run with it. I'll that tell you what. Good. It's a cool number to say it's a couple a cool times. It's a cool number to say. Yeah. So we appreciate everybody checking it out. Uh, that's probably going to happen sometime this month. i got to do the uh, the exact okay. numbers well, and if number you, crunching. If, if you want to push the, the numbers a little bit more, I can do something crazy, you know, and we will go from there. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> all right. I'm just saying hey. if we had the uh, Popeye's chicken sandwich. Do we do a little review? We could maybe do that. Maybe set it up where we got the Wendy's chicken sandwich, the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich, and the Popeyes do a little blind taste Ooh, testing blind during the show. Oh, that'd be good. N- not really talking about sports, but that's okay because that's what's in right now. That'd be good. Okay. Because, maybe. first of all, I'm hungry. Sounds like a Friday idea. None of them have sugar, right? No comment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you there. Uh, okay. We left off with the Patriots being overrated. <laughs> you did, yes. Yeah, I did. Uh, listen, the Patriots do have like a blip. Yeah. You know, every season they are in the midst of a difficult stretch. You know, they got um, they had the Ravens. They have the Texans coming up in mm-hmm. a few weeks. I think they play the Chiefs. And there's one who are they playing next week or this weekend. They're playing somebody that's pretty tough too. the Eagles. They're at the Eagles. Correct. So I I told you, I think I said this to you. I don't know who I said this to, but I, they were going to lose two games in this stretch. I think you did. Yeah. And yeah. well, they've lost one Good and they will lose another one. They're yeah. just my, my whole point with the Patriots is number one. It, I know it's not their fault, but yeah. they are playing nobody, yeah. and they have played nobody, and well, it benefits them so much because yes, they are a good football team. Yeah, but if if you could take all the good football teams and they could play that schedule right now, I think they'd be eight and one. If you could take the Seattle Seahawks and the Kansas City Chiefs and the uh, Baltimore, who's now lost one game, they yeah. probably I mean two games, they would have one loss. I think. I just think those. So my point is that they're not head and shoulders above everybody else. They're probably on par with everybody else. And I still don't think, in my opinion, like they're the best team in the NFL. I just don't. I mean, I get the pedigree. I get the the history. I, I get it's Brady and Belichick. And I know their defense is better than it's been. They like their defense. But I also am not ready to crown them the the. 1986 Chicago Bears defense. They're just not that, in my opinion. I need more than beating the Jets and the Dolphins well, and, the, and the everything. And by the way, to be fair, I say that about the Jags, too. Yeah. I say I don't know how good the Jags are because those are the teams they've beaten. The problem for the Patriots, not the problem, thing with the Patriots is they get to pound up on those teams a lot. Mm-hmm. The best team they play is like the Bills before this last one. Well, also the, and the, Steelers, uh, the Steelers to start the year. And listen, the Steelers just beat the Indianapolis Colts Steelers are coming with a on backup now. running back and a backup quarterback. Yeah, Steelers and, are coming on. Mike Tom. Tomlin is doing a great job. And, and the Patriots took on a, a full-strength Steelers squad and beat them 33-3. to So let's just talk in about a month and see yeah. in the next four but, weeks when they've played a little bit more of a schedule yeah. than they've had to go through right now. And they, they just get such a benefit from playing in that East that they well, don't, they're going to get a first-round bye. They're going to have to win two games, most likely going to be at home. And and so they really got to win like two or three critical games in the course of a year. It's not their fault. I but, just don't know how great. I feel like they are right now. But go in and tell me then, Brent, from the AFC perspective, what team in the AFC scares you besides the Patriots? I mean, I guess the Ravens. Well, the Ravens. But certainly who else? do. 
No, the Chiefs, AFC. Maybe, I guess. The Chiefs but, fully loaded would yeah. scare me. Okay. Right? I mean, because they have a terrible defense. They had one last year, and they still maybe should have beaten the Patriots. Yeah. They got a bad roughing the passing call against yeah. Brady that enabled the Patriots to win. And some people would argue a bad overtime rule mm-hmm. that allowed the Patriots to win. Well, don't forget, D4 jumped off sides, and that cost them the game yeah, as well. They, they so. lost a coin flip, or they might have won the football game. Yeah. And that's with a bad defense. Now, this year's defense is getting a little bit better. Mm-hmm. It's not... It's not as bad. It's not good. Yeah. But it might be good enough for a couple of stops if, again, they are healthy, yeah. you know, and where they are at that time. Right now, it's hard to predict what the Chiefs are because they're losing a bunch of games at home. Uh, they, that was a nice win by them the other day. Mm-hmm. Mahomes is coming back at some point. So it's hard. To, the AFC overall, to your point, is not that great. And, they, and that's what it is. nobody's strong. I mean, that's what it is. You really have two teams, possibly three. You have the Patriots. You have the Ravens that we saw and then possibly the Chiefs at full strength. But then you go to the NFC, Brent, and we got, you know, the Cowboys, I think, are, are coming on now. The Eagles, don't count them out yet. Packers look pretty good. Vikings, the Saints. Uh, well, it's simply the this. 49ers, the Seahawks, you know, like there's there's a lot of... The best way to characterize it, and we did this last night because they show who's in the hunt in sure. the NFL. Sure. And the Jags at four and five, you would almost feel like they've been eliminated from the AFC, from the wild card race yeah. in, if they were in the NFC. Mm-hmm. And they're right in the thick of it, to be quite honest with you, in the AFC. Yeah, that's, that's um, a telling so, stat right there. So, yes, I agree. But you're asking two different things. Yeah, I do think the Patriots are one of the best teams in the AFC. Yeah. I just think they're very fortunate, too, that they're playing in an AFC that doesn't have any good teams okay. or great teams. Mm-hmm. That's a couple of good teams. And maybe Baltimore is a great team. Yeah. But if you were playing in the NFC, how many losses would the Patriots have by now? Playing that kind of schedule? I don't know. I don't. I don't. Yeah. That, that's. A, I just want to see more from the Patriots before I'm ready to say it's the greatest defense they've had. They're going to win yeah. it all. I don't think, and I'm going to stick with it. I don't think the Patriots will win the Super Bowl. Well, you predicted the Saints would beat them anyway. Correct. I. I, I don't. I, I think their offense is a little off. I don't feel like it's it's well, unbelievable. And I think their you're right about game that. Is not great. You're, you're right about that, Brent. Where this isn't the traditional Patriots offense that we're accustomed to seeing with Tom Brady throwing four or five touchdowns per game and their their ability to run the ball. The reason I picked the Patriots to go to the Super Bowl because I envisioned Sony Michelle being a bell cow running back. You know where. Prior years, you know, they relied more on, like, you know, kind of running back by committee, whether it was Rex Burkhead or James White in the passing game. Um, you know, I figured Sonny Michelle would be the guy. Well, as far as running the ball, he has been that guy. Now, he has some touchdowns, but as far as his average, his yards per carry, not good. So this Patriots team has had the success due to their defense and not their offense. Can they sustain that? We'll see. But to prove your point for you, this isn't the traditional Patriots offense that we're accustomed to seeing. Yeah, in a league where you got to score like 30 now, You're it right. seems to win most yeah. of the time. Now they won a Super Bowl 13-3, to so we'll see. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, the other part of your balling, and we're going to get to our eventual other balling and falling, but yeah. uh, Lamar Jackson, yep. seriously, this he's a tremendous athlete. Yeah. Uh, if you listen to the way the Ravens talk, I'm like, wow, I mean, this guy is something special, and he's been proven to be something special. You also know how I feel about it. Give me a little bit more before I put him in the Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. Is he changing the quarterback position, or is he just so different than anybody else that's playing the quarterback position? Therefore, it makes it tough to prepare for, tough to defend. And what you're going to give, you know, Michael Vick was such a different athlete. Mm -hmm. I'd have to look up the numbers now to bring this up, but Michael Vick's not running for 1,000 yards in a season, was he? 
I don't remember him running. He's gonna this Lamar Jackson's yeah, gonna no, run I, I for a thousand he, yards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's running for a thousand yards in the in the NFL. Yeah. At the quarterback position, you know, there's a big difference between like Russell Wilson who can keep things alive and runs for 300, 400 yards. You know, or uh, any quarterback. I mean, Minshew, we've seen it being able to scramble and be elusive, be mobile, like that mobile word. Correct. Lamar Jackson's like a running part of this offense, which makes it unusual to defend. I mean, Kaepernick kind of did it. When well, he was with San Francisco. And it's funny you mention him because Greg R- Roman, who's the offensive coordinator for the, Same for the Ravens, guess what? He, he was in San Francisco with Kaepernick. Yeah. Guy that was and, rumored, by the way, to be in the head coaching job list yes. for the Jags years ago. Yeah. And, you know, to, to kind of prove the point, is Lamar Jackson the truth? Is he just kind of the flash in the pan? Will teams eventually figure it out? Because let's be honest, Brent. They did have a 1,000 in 2006. Okay. Close. Thank you, Goose. Nice, uh, nice little drop there. He was close in 2004 as well. Okay. It? Okay. Um, so it begs the question because you're talking Greg Roman right now with San Francisco. Well, for a while, Count Kaepernick, he was the guy. He was the puzzle that nobody could solve. That happened for about two seasons and teams kind of caught up a little bit. And I was kind of skeptical. I mean, I knew Lamar Jackson was going to be special. But I didn't foresee the Ravens being this good on offense because even Greg Roman came on and said, like, listen, we're going to be a completely new offense than what we were last year. We're going to throw the ball a lot more. We can do a lot of read zone options, stuff like that. And I thought it was always kind of smoke and mirrors because I figured I'm not sure if Lamar Jackson is going to go for that. But as I watch the Baltimore Ravens transpire here, as I start to see their offense with Hollywood Brown being a dynamic, crazy good rookie, with Mark Ingram being the bell cow, just lower his shoulder, get your four or five yards, running with bad intentions every single carry, as I see their tight ends that, you know, you got Boyle, uh, you got Andrews, who's starting to be like the breakout tight end for them. You have all these pieces, Brent, and you have Lamar Jackson, which I've said before on the show, reminds me of Mike Vick. And... Colin Kaepernick, yeah, you could compare it to Mike Vick, but I'll be honest. Colin Kaepernick was never Mike Vick. His arm... And what you mean by that, like... I'm like, saying... See, Lamar Jackson and Michael Vick are supreme athletes. Correct. Uh, this is going to sound weird. I didn't see Kaepernick was more of a style and yeah. ability to do it, but not like this this A++++ athlete like I would envision, I envision Vick and even Lamar Jackson. Yeah, no, is that and, fair? And, I don't know and, if that's and, fair. And I absolutely agree with you on that. I absolutely agree with you, and I think... Overall, their arm and just, you know, their ability as a quarterback, I think Jackson and Vic have Kaepernick beat there. Okay? That's just my opinion. You can think whatever you want to think. But to prove the point with the Mike Vic thing, listen, when Mike Vic was in his prime for the Falcons, you know, when they're winning a lot of ball games, he was impossible to stop. Because he had the arm, he had the presence, he had the vision, and every once in a while, he would just turn it loose with his footwork. You know, and you couldn't contain the guy. He was just unworldly. Lamar Jackson, to me, is that exact same guy. And he's he's that guy on an offense that does so many crazy things, whether it's involving their tight end, um, having a great running game. It's just, if you watch Lamar Jackson play, he never looks panicked. He never looks rushed. And I compare him to Mike Vick because I'm under the influence and under the opinion that Mike Vick, nobody ever figured out Mike Vick. Mike Vick hurt himself he did yeah mike yeah basically he sabotaged himself with the whole dog fighting thing and then with injuries and he was never the quarterback again i'll never forget when the eagles played the jaguars here in jacksonville and i remember we're getting ready to game plan for mike vick we had one day uh, of just our defensive meetings where it was all about just keeping mike vick in the pocket where he's like to step up we have to contain him that was just one day forget the run game forget the pass game forget what the eagles are trying to do here we got to stop mike vick and when i watch lamar jackson i see the same type of things 
Interesting. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Kaepernick, uh, his high was 639 yards rushing. That was in 2014 when they won six. Uh, when he played 16 games, also ran for 524 when he played 16 games. Actually, he was on a bigger pace in 16 when he only played in 12 games, but went uh, for 468 yards. So yeah. you know, again, I, I feel like it's different because Vic obviously in 06 went for a thousand, almost mm-hmm. did it again in 2004. Ku said, and and Lamar Jackson's going to run for a thousand yards. The only difference it feels like to me too is. Lamar Jackson looks like a beanpole. Yeah. Right? Now, he's not necessarily, but he looks like it. He has, but he looks like it. Mm. Vic never did. Vic looked like a guy that could handle it and and could could take a beating if he needed to, you know, could could get hit hard. And you just wonder sometimes. Now, Lamar's smart about it, and he's so slippery and he's so elusive that it's hard to hit a guy like that square. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think the beauty of comparing Vic to Jackson here is the fact that I think with Jackson, um, he's stubborn. He, he wants to be the quarterback. He even heard it, remember, like, going on the seasons, like, I don't want to run the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to be that passer, yeah. you know? And listen, this is a guy his entire career coming out of college I was told, can you work out a wide receiver of the combine? Can, can you work out maybe a tight That's end? Because right. we, we, we don't want you to be a quarterback here, you know? Like, he has a chip on his shoulder already that he's trying to prove people wrong, that he's a pocket, you know, pressure quarterback. So from that perspective, I think he's a little more intelligent than Vic was. I think Vic, at the end of the day, understood that, listen, I'm Mike Vic, dude. I'm going to take off and run for 50 yards, do a spin move. You can't stop me. So from that perspective, I think Lamar Jackson is a little smarter. What, but the translation, by the way, of people wanting him to go to wide receiver yeah. was, we don't think you're smart enough to play this True. position. Isn't that? Yeah. I mean, am I, I mean, don't you think, like, you don't, not, not necessarily well, saying smart. I'm not saying you're dumb, but you don't understand reading coverages, or you don't understand defenses, or you don't understand reading the field. Yeah. It, that was the See, translation for me. If you have this good of an arm talent, mm-hmm. and you have this good of a mobile quarterback, yeah. and you have that kind of skill set, well, then why would you try to transfer him to another position? Why would teams say, I don't Be- think you can do it, other than, I don't think you can process the game? Because, Brent, like, that style wasn't working anymore. You know, like, I think if you go back to watch him in Louisville, I think people think he was more of a system guy that ran the option a lot, and he was just, he was good at running the option yeah. of, of, of a college football offense. But I think, you know, the scouts, the GMs thought, well, that's kind of dead right now in the NFL, right? Like, we, we saw the flash in the pan with Kaepernick. There was a flash in the pan with Mike Vick. Cam Newton even had a flash in the pan, but what has he done lately? You know, yeah, he went to the Super Bowl, but what has Cam Newton done lately? Not that much. So I think they all kind of put that, you know, they all kind of thought about that whole thing, too, where it's like, yeah, he may be a decent quarterback, but is he an NFL ca- NFL caliber uh, quarterback? Probably not. Well, the Ravens took a chance on him in the first round. It's paying dividends ever since. And John Harbaugh deserves a lot of credit yes, for it, does. too. That whole coaching staff, because they're doing things that people didn't. And by the way, put me on the list. I yeah. wasn't advocating for the Jags to take him mm-hmm. at 28, and it looks like you would have to change a lot of things around him. Yeah. But it might have been, it, well, it's paying it off for the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah. Keep in mind, they even picked Hayden Hurst before they took That's right. Lamar Jackson. That's right. Right? Uh, was that right? Or I think it was maybe no. Andrews. It was, no, it no, was, they put Hayden Hurst, because okay. that's why the Jags picked Taven Bryan. You're right. Yeah. So they picked Hayden Hurst. There you go. Before Lamar Jackson. Yeah. So they thought like they liked the idea, but they weren't a hundred percent sold either. But I think didn't they still trade up to take they him? They traded the, up so to it get was him. Still ball, the, that's what they did. It was still balls to take they him like, in the first round. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hey, before we uh, get a break and we'll continue on with some balling and falling back to the Foles and Minshew and really the Foles now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have that going on, but we have a happy hour horn to hit first. Beautiful lady. 
gonna make this party the best thing I've named. This is my favorite place. Nothing right will replace no. Nothing. Anything goes. The gangsters are rolling, half face smiling. And so oh I think of the rhythm while you're drinking. Anything goes. Grab a drink, get a shot, and sip your star tenders. Hey, uh, Vita Louis recently got a 98 rating. How about that? They also introduced a couple of new flavors. So now three flavors for Vita Louis. You can check them all out on VitaDeLouis.com. It's a locally owned tequila right here in Jacksonville and made in tequila, Mexico, shipped directly to Jack's Beach. Make your own recipes with Vita Louis tequila, one of the smoothest tequilas you will ever taste. Just ask Coos. Vita Louis. <laughs> Dot com. When we come back, more ballin', including Kevin Harlan with the call of the year. And you mentioned a name that's part of my fallen. Mm. That's on the way. And we'll talk more foals as well here on a Tuesday edition of Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Thanks for hanging out. I think when you look at our, uh, our ability in a red zone, I don't think you can pin it on, on one person. I think collectively as a group, starting with us as coaches, we have to do a better job. You know, then we have to put our players in better position, and we have to make plays down there. Obviously, we're not doing well, and that'll be a big focus when we look at this self-scout of what better answers we can have. Well, that's Doug Marone today. Uh, after naming Nick Foles the quarterback, what he's trying to say is, hey, this isn't all Gardner Minshew's fault. We're going to get into the red zone, Gardner Minshew uh, versus Foles, and how much is on the quarterback, how much more could be out there. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. We want to finish up balling and falling. It's kind of taken us all over the map, but into some good topics. And I want to finish off with the Lamar Jackson. We're talking about Michael Vick a little bit, too. Yeah. I mean, just simply this, I just put it out there on social media. It'd be interesting to see how people respond. I know how they're going to respond. They're going to say Vick because there's a bigger... Um, uh, resume mm-hmm. for Vic out there. And we we always like a little bit of nostalgia. And I think Vic's kind of that nostalgic player where you almost feel like you didn't get enough out of him. Like he wasted some of his talent because of the dog stuff mm-hmm. and injuries. And we didn't get the full complement of what it might have been, could have been. Mm-hmm. Well, at the end of the day, will we say Lamar Jackson or Michael Vick's a better football player? It's a good question. Um, you know, it's just the, the sample size for Vic is there, so you kind of know. But honestly, and health is the biggest thing, Brent, right? I yeah. mean, that's the, and you have to assume health, yeah. right? Um, man, I like I like the Ravens and I like Lamar Jackson. I really do because with what Roman's doing, and who's going to say he's going to be there for the next years? Because I'm sure he'll get an offer as a head coach someplace pretty soon. So assuming that the offense stays the same, what they're able to do is is the fact that, yes, they run the read option a lot, and they also rely on Jackson's legs sometimes to get them out of trouble. But they also have a really solid power run game, Brent, you know, with Mark Ingram. And how long can that sustain? We'll see. But they – they have this old school mentality, but it's got like a new school feel. It's it's almost like a '69 Camaro, but you went you you went ahead and put like the NOS in it. You put like the new engine and everything, but it's still like that classic Camaro. So, um, from that perspective, I feel like the the sky's the limit for Jackson and the Ravens. Yeah, and I I think because of what I just said there, you feel a little bit of emptiness with Mike Vick that he didn't give you everything he could have given you. You're correct, right? And yeah. again, some of that self-imposed. Yeah. And therefore, that opens the door for a guy like Lamar Jackson. Now, the way I'm answering, 
to me, Michael Vick still wins the day from a physical specimen, an athlete, uh, a guy that you see at that position so different. You know, a position that often gets labeled because it's a black quarterback or a white quarterback. Yeah. He was just the, so unique with mm-hmm. his skill set. Now, we might be seeing that. But I'll say it again, and I think this might be a little bit of my ego talking because I just didn't think. Sometimes we want to be right. We want to convince ourselves. I didn't think Lamar Jackson would be this already. And I still believe, I go back to what I always say, is I just feel like we need more out of I I need to see more. I need to see, is this an effective way to play football, an effective scheme, effective offense in the postseason? You know, can it get you there? Again, Colin Kaepernick did. Not the exact, but a similar style and, and almost won that thing. I was in New yeah. Orleans for that when the lights went out. Yeah. Uh, so the, I guess I just do need to see more. I'm not willing to say, yes, he's going to be this after this small sample of, of uh, less than two years in the NFL and running this. But I also think the door is so open from a Michael Vick standpoint mm-hmm. when we, when we draw that comparison that we might not even see all the offense because it's so early that John Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson can throw at people. Mm -hmm. This might be in its infancy from an offense in that transition and trying to get the other guys around him to do things. This might evolve even more so. Then it might be like, whoa, you know? So I I, I leave it open like that. that, But I'm not going to sit on the fence. I will say I still think Michael Vick will win the day Mm -hmm. uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, and keep in mind, too, here, Brent, the fact that, and we talked about this during the preseason uh, when the Jacksonville Jaguars traveled to Baltimore, is the fact that their wide receivers, they're not going to really beat you, all right? Like, Brown is going to be maybe the future, the Hollywood Brown. Like, he's, he's the next big thing, possibly. Might be the fastest guy in the NFL. I get that. But, like, Willie Sneed, Boykins, like, the, yeah. these these are guys that were, you know, three receivers on other teams, sometimes four. Like, Willie Sneed was, like, a four receiver in New Orleans. They didn't use him a lot. But now he's, like, the one-two receiver uh, in Baltimore. So, I think once they keep on adding pieces, you know, to, to that machine, I feel like they can have success for a long time. Yeah, it's a good call, too. Yeah. I mean, what if they were to add some crazy wideout yeah. to that? That's a, that's a really good call. Yep. All right, uh, my ball eventually, 45 minutes later. Uh, that was a good, fun topic, though, on, on Lamar Jackson and for the sure. New England Patriots earlier. You met somebody on social media, and I don't know if he was being uh, sarcastic at me or not, but FSU closing in on Stoops, did you really discuss that? We did talk about that a bunch uh, yep. in the 3 o'clock hour and 4 o'clock hour. We had Deshaun Reed from uh, The Athletic and also uh, Jason Fitz from ESPN. We talked about the coaching search and, well, probably the erroneous reports coming out of Tallahassee, at least jumping the gun on the Stoops front. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also announced today in Tallahassee that they are going nationwide and they've hired a search committee which me, to me indicates nothing is imminent on the Tala, on the Florida State front in terms of a coach. And I think it'll take some t- time now uh, for them to find their next guy. So, yeah, we have talked about it. Might even hit it again before the end of the show. But before we do that, I mean, we got to really hit them hard with Kevin Harlan and the call of the year on the Black Cat suspending <laughs> the game last night on Monday Night Football. Here's Kevin Harlan. He's walking. He's walking to the three. He's at the two. And the cat is in the CDW red zone. CDW people who get it now, a policeman, a state trooper has come on the field, and the cat runs into the end zone. That is a touchdown. And the cat is elusive, kind of like Barkley and Elliott. But he didn't know where to go. Look, at they're trying to corner him, and they got him in the end zone. There are state troopers all around this cat, which now climbs up into the stands, and the fans are running for their line. Now it goes back on the field again, and it's running in the back of the end zone. And it runs up the tunnel. 
That's Kevin awesome. Harlan, awesome. So last night uh, on that, and you know, here's the Kevin Harlan used to do preseason Jags games, yeah. And I was a sideline reporter when Kevin Harlan oh, was doing nice. it. Against, yeah, yeah. And Harlan's got this voice that oh. anybody would be envious of. It's all time, and, and yeah. he's awesome, and he's a really nice, nice man too. Yeah. Um, enjoyed working with him at the times. For my money, I'm a. He is. He should be. He's. He's a star. He's a sure. big, big play-by-play guy. Yeah. But I'm not sure he's as big a star as he should be. I think yeah. he really is an all-timer. I mean, he's a great play-by-play guy. I yeah. love listening to Kevin Harlan, yeah. and that was awesome. He did so well with that that he even got the sponsor in. Oh, it's internet gold right there. And <laughs> this gives me an idea real quick. So you're calling the UNF games this year. I again. will be there again, yes. Okay, so who's to say maybe I come into one of those games, I bring like a snake or some kind of varmint, like a raccoon or something, I let it on the floor, and I let you go hog wild on calling it, and then Brent gets... <laughs> trending on Twitter, all of a sudden there's a raccoon on the floor, there's a snake on the floor, Brent calls it, and we all get famous off it. We can set this up, that's yeah. fine, but can you get, bring like a kangaroo or something so we can dunk it? <laughs> okay, well, I'll see where I can we get a kangaroo somebody from. who can dunk it, man, it's, you gotta finish it off, okay, I mean, the, the, the cat like got it. to the end zone. I like it, we're gonna find a kangaroo, I'm gonna deck him out in an ESPN 690 hat <laughs> and hoodie, and uh, we're gonna go from there. Just don't punch me like the commercial You kangaroo. got it, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I don't even think that's a commercial, I think that's, a, that's actually a video. Uh, that goes around. All right, what you got for Fallen? So Fallen, man, this has kind of been the big story the past couple of days is Jermaine Whitehead. Yeah, you man. know, Brent, and listen, and I, I'm the first guy to say I would never talk bad about somebody because I, I treat my job like I would see them in the parking lot when I'm going to my car after I talk about them. And listen, I'm not going to badmouth the guy, but you cannot threaten to kill people on Twitter because someone had a problem with how you played in the ball game. You can't call people racial slurs on Twitter because you had a bad ball game. You just can't do it. Simple as that. Now, he's come out today and apologized, but you just simply cannot do that. There should be a zero tolerance policy for that, and obviously the Cleveland Browns got the memo because they, they cut him uh, a short time later. I don't know much about this guy as a football player. I really yeah. don't. But that was a tirade that you're right it has to be zero tolerance to me it opens up a bigger issue mm. and this is something that the older player the former player the whatever player did not have to deal with yeah. and that is the direct criticism to you the player and sometimes it can be out of hand yeah and there's no recourse for the player they can't say anything back yeah. now listen even if you wanted to say, hey, you're a dumbass or you're a moron and screw you, yeah. you can't do what he did. No, I mean, no, I mean that's, re- that's yeah. unbelievable yeah. what he did. But I'm saying from a bigger picture standpoint, it's not an easy time to be an athlete. And what your simple answer to me right now is, well, then stay off social media. Okay, so I can't go on social media because you might call me everything in the book because yeah. I dropped a pass or I didn't play well. And so I'm supposed to not do what I want to do. You know, I can yeah. see that back and forth. I don't know the answer. Well, I do think players are way in tune, though, of what people are saying about them. That is different. That mm-hmm. is not like it used to be. Now, listen, the newspaper's always been there. But I do think there was this segment of a locker room that might not read the paper, yeah. might not watch the TV. Well, it's almost impossible to not hear what people are saying about you. Even if you try to block me, Jalen Ramsey, somebody <laughs> else is going to tell you if I said something that is crazy about you yeah you know what i mean uh, so yeah. now they might not say that about the fans but you will find out is my point i think it's a tough spot the players are in 
but it's a no-win, and you can't well, retaliate, and you definitely can't retaliate like that. And listen, I experienced some of this when I played for the Jaguars, and I definitely experienced it when I got knocked out on national television to Greg Hardy, okay? I mean, people called me every single name in the book. They said I couldn't fight. I mean, I can go on for days of what people said to me. At the end of the day, though, if you're a professional athlete and you're on social media, that's great. That's great for branding. But you have to understand, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook – it is not the it's not the real world, okay? It's not how the world works because those people that are calling you saying you suck, you're a dumbass, you're stupid, you're a horrible football player, they wouldn't have the audacity, they wouldn't have the nerve to do it to your face. So therefore, it's all just fabrication. Um, it's all just. It's all just in their mind, okay? They're in their parents' basement, some of them probably, and they have nothing better to do but talk smack about somebody else. That's not how the real world works. So if you're a, like a professional athlete and you understand that, then nothing's going to hurt you. It's when you take that stuff personal, when you let the person that's echelons and echelons below you, not only like as a profession but also in society, when you let those people dictate how you behave, you're just as much as fault as they are, as the people talking smack. Because I'm going to do a bad host thing and blow, like, probably right through this music. Because Austin brings up something that's interesting. You mentioned the Hardy fight. Yeah. It's something we really haven't talked a lot about on the show. Yeah. I probably, we don't, we're not going to talk a ton about it right now. Yeah. But you bring it up from a social media aspect. Yep. And you've kind of hinted around on the show at times. That was a tough time to yeah. get away from. How much did you think? I know there was disappointment you lost the fight. Of course. Because obviously that meant that next step, and you're yeah. still trying to grind up to that next step. Correct. Uh, but how much of it was the blowback on social media, yeah. the feedback, the everything else that kind of kind of put you in a not-so-great state of mind if, if, if that's a way to characterize yeah, it. To, to be fair, I think most of it came from just myself because I spend so much time, you know, because I'm a, I'm a big believer in positive thinking and, you know, it's like seeing it happen. Like if you see it happen, you put it in the universe, it will happen. So I never envisioned me losing that fight. All I saw was my hand getting raised, celebrating him in the UFC. So yes, when I got beat, I was devastated. Probably one of the worst nights of my entire life, hands down. And, to add the cherry on top, I didn't make the mistake right away of going on on Twitter and things like that. And I shared the story. I went to I went to In and Out Burger, you know, and I was bummed, man. It was like I said, I was not in a good state of mind. Well, someone comes up to me, shows me the video on Twitter, like, dude, is this you right here? And like, it's me getting knocked out. So I had to live with that. But yeah, obviously people had something to say because I was kind of billed as the hero, and he was the villain because of his past, and I was the guy that was supposed to, you know, kind of put him in his place and good was supposed to prevail over evil and that's not what happened so a lot of people wanted to take the ride with me because i was the guy to cheer for so they bought a ticket they followed along they cheered me on and when i lost those people from for the most part turned their back on me and they said that i sucked they said they called me every single name in the book yada yada, yada. How, how could you let this evil person you know win and it's crazy to me because that's not what I was. I was fighting Greg Hardy, the fighter. I wasn't fighting Greg Hardy, this evil person who did a lot of bad things. I was just trying to fight this guy who's my size, probably a little bigger than me, and I was trying to get knocked out. I didn't take in the you know the cage of all the other emotional BS that comes with that with the fight. So it was hard on me, you know, and. It took a lot of time. It took a lot of positive feedback from people, my family. Um, to tell you the truth, Uber helped out a lot because I started to get, you know, other people's stories of 
they're down on their luck, and all of a sudden, me losing a fight on national television didn't seem so bad as maybe a guy that I met that's a surfer that's on his kind of his last years with brain cancer, but he's not getting the chemo. He just wants to surf, and that's it. I met that guy doing Uber, and it started to put perspective of, you know what? It's not the end of the world. The, the world's going to go on, and those people that are talking smack to me, they probably aren't going to do it to my face, and that's okay. Yeah, that's brilliantly said, uh, and I think that's part of you have to come to that realization yeah. but it's easy for me to say yeah. i don't have to i might get a person that tells me i'm an idiot from time to time yeah but not that wave of it yeah. you know not the wave of this cleveland browns player that got it from the entire fan base sure not the wave of it from a jalen ramsey that the fans now have turned on yeah. or a leonard fournette last year when things were going bad mm-hmm. and they they're on that thing so you know i think it, it also adds one of my favorite things said and i forget now it was said and i should remember it but i love when people say you know you have to have the courage to enter the arena sure. right? or the cage or yeah. the football field, the basketball court, and especially where you guys do it, like yeah. you in the NFL or now this MMA thing. You have to be able to you have to have the courage to enter it on that broad scale, not just yeah. in your own backyard, not just in the small little town, not just even in your high school yeah. or college. But now on this massive level, mm-hmm. uh, which so many people now do, which is cool and enviable. Yeah. But also you got to be ready for the other side of it if yeah. it doesn't end the way everybody wants it to end or the way you want to end. But the the add to that is that's in general. That's been going on for decades and decades and decades. You have mm-hmm. to have the courage to enter the arena. But now added to that, you have to have the courage almost and the ability to deal with this no, and everything sure. you get back on it. And yeah. I think that is easier said than done. I, I, I think we're all human at that stage. Yeah. And again, this Cleveland Browns player went so far over the top that I, I'm, I'm not justifying it. Yeah. I'm talking broad view from players and everybody else that has to deal with that i think that is something people have to come grips with especially if you're a young player yeah and you don't know how to deal with that uh i think that's a real thing and you know what and if you're a professional athlete uh if you're somebody at your job listen bad things will happen to you that's just life good things happen and bad things happen bad things are gonna i don't mean to scare anybody but eventually a bad thing is gonna happen to you and if you're a professional athlete if you make a bad play people get on you guess what People may remember that play for a long time, but to me, you're not defined by the mistakes that you make or, you know, maybe the, 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 the accident that you took at work or something like that. You're defined by how you respond to it. Uh, when things aren't going your way, you, you're defined by your response. So I'm still trying to find my response in the fight game. You know, like I'm not going to let the Greg Hardy fight define who I am. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pick myself up by my bootstraps and I, I'm going back to work. And that's just the way it is. And you can apply that to life as well, man. Just don't don't be defined by the mistakes when people say about you. There's another player that has been to the mountaintop and now might have to do the same thing. That's my fallen in this hour-long fallen and fallen. <laughs> and plus, we put a bow on the show, a final thought or two on the Nick Foles announcement today and uh, maybe what FSU will do as well. And you might even have a uh, M- an MMA uh, note oh, yeah. along the way. So we got to do all that in about five or six minutes when we come back. You know, the example of, of Gardner is an example that, that's that been going on quite a bit on this team, but, you know, it doesn't get as publicized, or I might not bring it up to the team as much, you know, and I brought it up today, but I think people like Najee Good, who was a, a you know, brought in as a backup linebacker who's starting now, um, you know, guys like Trey Herndon, uh, who was thrown into a role and is playing well for us, you know, just being ready, just being, and I think it's a great example for all of our, our players. 
I thought that was a really good example from Doug Marone. Some of these other guys we're not talking about that had to fill in and done a nice job. Minshew was one of those guys that did a nice job. Now it's back to Foles. And, uh, you know, if Quincy Williams were to get healthy again and, and play, then Najee Good might be out of there. Yeah. You know, but we put so much on the quarterback position, and rightfully so, but we do it. Hey, real quick, my fallen was Cam Newton. Just a simple oh, question, okay? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Cam, just a simple question. Is he done being an elite player or an above-average player or a big-time quarterback in the NFL? Looks like Carolina might even move on from him. Yeah. Is he, is he done? I mean, have we seen the downfall of Cam's career because of injuries? I, I think so. It's a result of his playing style where he's that big bruiser, dual-threat kind of quarterback. And unfortunately, the hits that he's taken, they've they've taken their toe on him. And I see Carolina moving on. All right, let's get going with a little stay in your lane. Oh, hit me with the coup. You all right, Cruz? I'm good. So, Cruise Control, Brent, you know, we're in the ESPN 690 Fantasy Football League. The stakes have never been higher. As you know, I'm undefeated right now. And last night, I'll be honest, I was taking Cruz a little lightly, right? I, I wasn't worried about him. I was ready to move on the next week. I was down by eight points with 20 seconds left. I had the, I had the Cowboys defense. All hope was gone. I, I call. I, I, I was desperate. I go to my cell phone, call up Jerry Jones. Jerry, he answered the phone. Austin, how you doing? Long time. I haven't heard from you. I'm like, I know Jerry. It's been a long time. How's the show going? It's going fantastic. Thanks for listening in, Jerry Jones, big ESPN 690 fan. And uh, I go, hey, Jerry, go and put me on it with Coach Ron Marinelli, the defensive coordinator, obviously from Dallas Cowboys. I talked to Rod Millinelli, man. Rod Millinelli. Hey, coach, how you doing? Uh, you know, Joe Cohen's one of your descendants, and I, I played underneath him. Oh, yeah, how's Joe Cohen doing? I have no idea, but uh, hey, I, I have a little request from you. Can you tell your defense to do something special for me? Can you call a blitz? Can, can you call a blitz? Can you make a turnover and score a touchdown? He's like, Austin, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, this game's out of reach. I don't want to come across as an a-hole by trying to score another touchdown. I'm like, just please, it made me in the world to me. He's like, I'll see what I can do. And he said one more thing. Who are you playing in fantasy football? Why do you need us? I go, Justin Kuzart. Oh, do you mean the guy that, you know, made fun of your dreads and said you're not professional because you have long hair? I'm like, Coach Marinelli, that's exactly the guy. He's like, and I quote, I'll see what we can do. Ten seconds later, Cowboys score a touchdown. I get nine points. I beat Kuz by one, and I am still undefeated in fantasy football. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Justin Kuzart. Karma. Yep, Karmicus. You better believe Man, it. Man, you almost had him, dude. I was. I had a tweet ready. I had a. <laughs> no. ready. Hey, hey, you want to know the best part about it? So I didn't call Jerry Jones shocker. I turned the game off with two minutes left because I'm like, there's no way I was gonna win. No way I was gonna win. The only reason why I knew I won was because Coos texted us. Yeah, I hate fantasy football. I hate fantasy football. I was like, go on, what? And I checked the scoreboard, and I win. Pump your brakes. Pump your brakes real quick, man. So the UFC fights, I told everybody to tune in and watch it. Hopefully you did, but I apologize for the outcome. Listen, you can't have the BMF belt and then call it due to the fact that Nate Diaz had a cut. It was a bad look for you, the UFC. Um, yes, Jorge Masvidal was winning that fight single-handedly, but at the same time, Nate Diaz... It's not how he starts. It's always about how he finishes. He has he has the best gas tank, has the best chin in the UFC, and not letting that fight go five rounds was an absolute travesty to the sport. Will they rematch? 
Jorge wants it. Dana White said no. Yeah, so but we'll, is he we'll just see. setting the table? Give the, give the fans what they want. I think they do. do I think they do a rematch. Do you think fans really want that? They want to see it. I think they want to see it. You absolutely have to see it because it, it's for the BMF belt. The, the storyline was there. Nate Diaz all bloodied up because he's going to come back and maybe get a knockout. Like the storyline was there for the BMF belt, and they just ruined it because they fought in Brooklyn, where there's a second year in the UFC with the, the fight commission. The doctor got scared, and that was it. Yeah, so, come on, Doc. So yeah, so this time, if you do it again, fight in Vegas where they have. They have a good upbringing. There. All right. The big news today. Still no coach for Florida State. The search is on. They've hired a search committee. No, Bob Stoops hasn't signed anything. And uh, around here, it's Doug Marone names Nick Foles the starting quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars earlier than anybody anticipated. Thought that might come next week. But really, to no surprise, we'll talk all about Foles more tomorrow and what it means and what it means for Minshew. And we want to get into more of the red zone talk uh, between these two quarterbacks. We've got some numbers to support it. We'll have that on Wednesday's show. That's going to do it for Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 here on a Tuesday. I'll see you on TV, CBS 47 and Fox 30 tonight. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.